Hello, and thank you for calling Movie Phone, brought to you by the Killer Bee, B96. <laughs> hey, says to Miss Cockman here, baby, up your butt with a coconut. I think he was prepared to do it. Dylan. You son of a bitch. I'm going to tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. Check it out. Terrific. A six-demon bag. Sensational. What's in it, Egg? Hey, yo, Kareem, baby, what's up? Listen, you ought to ditch the geeks in the car with now and get in with us, but that's all right. We'll worry about that later. Hey, homie, you need some help? I don't know where you're headed, but can you call in sick? Welcome back to another episode of Two Seat Cinema. My name is Lou. And I'm Dan. That's Dan. We're doing this thing again, and uh, this time we're on episode number three. We're three deep in this bitch. (laughs) Moving right along. Today we're going to talk about a movie that's pretty close to my heart. It was my choice for this episode, and it's called Pump Up the Volume. It could be your choice, but it probably echoed one of my choices somewhere down the road. So... Yeah, there's a couple of these on, uh, more than a couple, there's a lot on these these lists that we've sort of compiled that I think either one of us would have likely chosen if the other hadn't. So yeah, I, I think that, I think you're right. From an interesting standpoint, like going back and watching this film, I, I was I was worried that uh, I wouldn't feel the same way, but yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, I look forward to hearing about that, and I'm sure you're wondering how I feel as well, because, you know, we haven't spoiled the episode here for each other. We haven't talked about it since rewatching this, and I personally have not seen this movie in a long time. I thought it was more recent than it was, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. I look forward to it. I, I'd be very surprised if our opinions differ on this one, to be honest with you. Well, I can put it this way. I haven't watched it since watching it on VHS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know for sure I've seen it post-VHS because I own it on DVD, regular standard def, non-Blu-ray, but I would imagine I probably bought that, watched it once, and haven't watched it since. And it's not because it's not a good movie, but, you know, I just have a lot of DVDs. That's true. Yeah, so, like I said, we're doing Pump Up the Volume. Uh, we're going to spoil this bitch. We're going to talk about every single little detail. So if you haven't seen this movie and you don't want to know what's going to happen, pause this shit, go watch the movie, come back, listen to this. Or if you haven't seen it, but you don't really care, I'm going to talk about it to the point where you probably won't need to see it. <laughs> you know, you're going to be able to follow the plot pretty well, I think. Much to the detriment of uh, Dan's time, because <laughs> I'm going to make him fucking talk to me about this movie for probably longer than the movie, uh, the movie's runtime. That's okay. I like the movie. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So Pump of the Volume was directed by Alan Moyle, who I'm going to be honest with you, the name didn't sound familiar when I looked it up. And apparently he would also direct Empire Records five years later, but couldn't have told you that either. I've seen Empire Records. I've seen this. His name was not familiar to me and he didn't do anything else 
relevant to my life, so I guess that's probably why. Uh, the movie was released in the U.S. on August 22nd, 1990, which was a fucking Wednesday, so that's kind of weird. There was there was a handful of Wednesday releases. I remember that was kind of a thing when it when it came to you know the ex- exhibitors trying to spike the box office here and there when it was kind of a dull time in between blockbusters. Yeah, do you think it ever had to do with the movie? Was the movie ever put on a Wednesday because they didn't believe in it or any shit like that, do you think? No, um, I don't think that has any relevance to it. I mean, I could be wrong, but Christian Slater was, was kind of starting to, to, to crest up, you know, when it comes to his career trajectory. You know, his teen films were were doing well. Um, you know, it, again, he's, he's coming off of his uh, Jack Nicholson-esque Heathers moment, and... <laughs> It was obviously somebody believed in the screenplay for this. This guy, like you said, Alan Moyle hasn't hasn't put together a whole lot, but it seemed it seems like there was some good faith in the film. Yeah, I mean, well, so the budget I couldn't find anything specific on it. I know it was low, but I tried and I couldn't find a number. So I would imagine probably in the you know five million range, something in that vicinity. But I really don't know for sure. That's a, a guess. I mean, probably it, mostly spent on music. Yeah, that's if so. One of those things where you know you mentioned go out and watch this film. Um, it's really not easy to watch this film right now because the uh, the streaming isn't available. Um, and then in trying to figure out why the streaming isn't available, it comes down to the fact that this was kind of a uh, soundtrack heavy movie, and for royalty's sake, there was a lot of problems with getting the streaming mm-hmm. light, rights and all the royalties straightened out to the point where this would make sense. That makes sense. A lot of different management on the on the the soundtrack itself. So you know, it's funny that makes me think of like reality TV shows, like the like MTV shows. They would have like music that was current, and then years later, when they would rerun those shows, they had to use like Muzak versions or like <laughs> canned music instead because they didn't have this the license to like replay those episodes with that original music. I think the very first striking moment for me on that was uh, if you remember the TV show WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, but obviously a radio station while it was in reruns and live, uh, they would use things like songs by foreigner and, and so on. You go back to the DVD release of it. It's literally those songs are <laughs> just re-recorded versions that have nothing to do with the original song and do not fit the show at, at all. <laughs> it, it was awful to the point of unwatchable. Oh, that's funny. I've never, I don't think I've ever watched an episode of that show, but I am familiar with it. I do recall is that I recall a blonde woman. Is there a blonde woman on that show that's like? Yeah, that was. Um, of course, now it's escaping me. Uh, heavily linked with Tom Selleck. Um, <laughs> that's not going to help uh, me. <laughs> I know your love of the mustache. So I mean, I like Tom Selleck, but I don't know who he was fucking like dating back in the eighties or the seventies or whatever. I, he might have been married to her. I don't remember. Um, that's fucking awesome. Heavily yeah, linked to Tom Selleck and <laughs> Lonnie Anderson. Lonnie Anderson. Okay, thank you. Good call. Oh, I don't know. That's man, amazing. But... Well, whatever the case, no, the uh, the budget. Him. Yeah, the the budget is uh is unknown to me, but it did make just uh just over 11.5 million at the box office. From my brief research, it came across as a disappointing box office. So, it was it I I think again goes back to trying to put a movie in play on that, you know, when they, if you say that it did come out on a Wednesday, it fits the motif of trying to like throw product out at the wall and see what sticks type of thing. 
Yeah, hope that like word of mouth makes the Friday boom or something. Yeah. Well, so that's a, the second kind of clunker at the box office we've done in a row here. One of these days we'll get it right. We'll get you know a, a nice solid showing on that opening weekend. Well, I mean, there's a couple of unifying themes. We've got a a teen movie. We've got uh, Seth Green. <laughs> we've got <laughs> kind of a passion project for the director slash whatever right. writer. Yeah, um, same thing. Director writer from the previous uh, from Can't Hardly Wait too, right? Yeah, yeah, so. and. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure it's somewhere in your tidbits, but um, they actually in 2019 worked on a musical adaptation. <laughs> no, it's not in my tidbits. So we'll they, come back to that at the end yeah. and tell me what you uh, what you remember because right. I, I I glossed over it and I was like, "There's too much. I don't want to just I don't want to throw everything in here." So <laughs> that one, I was like, oh, "Whatever." <laughs> Fucking pump up the volume, the musical. I found it relevant in the fact that in 2019 somebody was was putting this together again. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, it's it's a cult movie. People liked it. They just didn't see it in the theater, yeah. but it's got it's got legs. Um, and it opened against Men at Work and Dark Man. So Men at Work, the uh, what was that Emilio Estevez. Was vehicle it, was it both him and Charlie Sheen? Yeah, I think Charlie Sheen and Emilio both playing garbage men. Brothers, yeah, yeah, uh, not a great movie, I don't think. But I haven't seen it in a long time, so maybe it's better than <laughs> I, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then uh, Dark Man, Dark Man, which I know I've seen it. I don't remember it at all. It's Sam Raimi, it's Sam right? Raimi, yeah. So uh, first exposure on this movie for me. So it was released, like I said, August twenty twenty uh, second, nineteen ninety. I would have been fourteen years old when this came out. I know for sure I didn't see this in the theater. There's just I have no memory of seeing this in the theater. But kind of doing some mental math, I sort of figured out when I would have seen it based on Henry Rollins to a degree. The VHS of this movie was released on March 13th of 1991, so just under a year later. And I'm pretty sure I would have seen this in 92 based on my level of familiarity with the songs on the soundtrack. I knew who Rollins was. But I wasn't like a Rollins fan yet when I saw this movie. So I remember knowing his voice and knowing of him because he, he appears on a song in the soundtrack. But, you know, I didn't really get into Rollins until after the end of Silence came out, which would have been in 92. So, yeah, the uh, the tape cassette referenced was hard volume, but um, it was yeah. a cover of uh, Kick Out the Jams with Bad Brains. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird choice. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But I just knew I knew who he was, but I wasn't a fan. And then I became a huge fan of his late 92 into 93. So I had to have seen this before that point. So my guess is I probably rented it on VHS sometime in 1992, maybe late 91. The other thing that, that's kind of a, a hint is I was aware of The Descendants when I saw this movie. So... I had to have seen it after July of 91 because I didn't know this, the Descendants until Sommery was out. Good album. And that's that's kind of how I think. I think it's late 91 or early 92 is when I saw this movie. It's probably my favorite Descendants album anyway. Sommery? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's mine, but it's also because it's just the first one I heard. And, I, you know, it's got, like, hits on it. It's sort of a compilation, right? Um, it might pull together a couple uh, splits and stuff too. I feel like that's what it is. I feel like it's songs that were on other things all put together. But yeah, I mean, I it's the one for me just because it's what I remember, you know, <laughs> driving around listening to in the car when I was fucking fifteen, sixteen. And there's some green tint to the album cover too. 
Yeah, it's it's very green. It's that, aggressively green. That would appeal to you. Green with like a you know a fun little black kind of icon. Looks like a molecule or something. I've I've just solved the the key to it. Make it green, and Lou likes it. <laughs> yeah, for those of you out there that don't know, green is my favorite color. It has been since I was very small. <laughs> uh, what about you? Do you remember your kind of initial viewing? Yeah, I definitely I definitely saw this at the theater. I saw this. I want to say I saw this at Ridge. Um, I will say that this film spoke to me at the time when I saw it, and it clearly influenced several of the people in my circle of friends to the point in which um, they decided to start smoking uh, unfiltered cigarettes and chewing blackjack <laughs> gum, um, listening to Leonard Cohen, and uh, yeah, it's just stylizing themselves to the point where they they kind of looked like it was just a straight pastiche from from the film. <laughs> That's funny. It was the right time for for me to see it, but it was clearly the right time for a couple of my friends. I, I know my friend Paul went deep into Leonard Cohen after that. My friend Rob was the the blackjack gum, you know, and and unfiltered cigarettes after that. Um, even even at a point where you know hairstyles started to uh, converge. That's so. funny. That's funny. Did, did anybody pick up on the uh, wild cherry Pepsi, or did they just leave that one alone? <laughs> you know, it, honestly, I don't remember that part of it. That doesn't stick <laughs> out in my head as much as the other elements did. Yeah, it's to me, it's one of the weirdest details in the movie, just because it's so specific. It is. It is. Um, the blackjack gum is is probably more of a signature. But yeah, we're going to talk time. about the blackjack gum for sure. I got some. I got a, <laughs> Some comments about that. I think you got some strong feelings. I have some feelings. Yeah, we'll get into that. So uh, that's pretty cool that you remember seeing this in the theater. I, and it's funny that you saw it in the theater that, be, that we worked at together. So that's kind of, I mean, I guess that's probably going to happen a couple of times here on the show. But. For sure. Um, that and the fact that it meant I saw it for free, too. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> probably brought in several people with me. Do you remember when you saw it, obviously you knew who Christian Slater was. Were Absolutely. you at all aware of Samantha Mathis or was no she was she was basically new to me at the time she was a fresh face she hadn't done much else certainly like her her first like big movie so yeah I was I was already infatuated with Heathers by this point so okay well one of these days we'll do that movie and we could talk deeply about that because I'm mildly curious about that as well it doesn't doesn't hurt that you know at the time you know Christian Slater was working with uh two leading ladies that I was infatuated with uh, after watching both films. Sure, sure. Understandable. So since you saw this in the theater, do you remember that poster? Did you get a chance to look at it? Um, purple there one? is a strong possibility that buried in my parents' crawl space in boxes is a copy of that poster. Okay, <laughs> nice. It's also yeah. blended in with the memory of the CD case of the soundtrack, so... Yeah, that's for me. I think what I remember more, even kind of the circles uh, uh, emanating around volume. There, uh, the word volume on the poster, where you know, they kind of look like I would imagine they're supposed to look like speaker cones or something. After after seeing the credits roll at the beginning of the film again, it I, I almost had an echo of a memory that made me feel like that imagery was used, or at least that that style of writing was used at one point on a different poster. But I could be a hundred percent wrong. Are you talking about the like 
the graffiti spray, the graffiti painting, spray painting, you know, the yellow. I mean, one. when I saw it, the first thing I thought of was like break into electric boogaloo or something <laughs> like that. But I don't. <laughs> it did look familiar to me. I couldn't place. I couldn't place it. It definitely. I had forgotten about it until watching. Did you? It I had. I had to actually. So there's some moments where this movie is very, very uh, dated. <laughs> you know exactly what you're looking at, and yes. th- those credits were one of the the key ones for me right away. But yeah, I, this poster, it looks familiar to me just because of the soundtrack and because of um, the fucking VHS and then eventually the DVD. Although the DVD is like an, a very orange version of this purple. Instead of the purple, it's orange. <laughs> Maybe it's a bad printing job. Yeah, Christian Slater just looking sexy as fuck, just looking right at you. <laughs> it's very like talk. It, it, it reminds me of, um, what was that Eric Bogassian movie? It was like, um, was it called <sighs> Talk Radio? It might have been Talk. Yeah, the to- that sounds right. It's kind of got that vibe to it, though. I, I don't know which came first. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. But I feel like that probably came first and this was second. But, yeah, I mean, you know, he's looking at you sexily. I, the thing about it, too, is funny. We'll get into the plot here in a second. But Talk radio. Is it talk radio? Yeah. Um, it was first. It was 1988. Yeah. So this kind of seems like a – it's like the the young kid version of that, the teenage version of that here. But I think it's kind of interesting that – so the poster very clearly shows Christian Slater with a microphone in front of him looking at the camera kind of, you know, pensively. But the movie starts and kind of keeps you in the dark about who the person talking is. So, yeah, we'll get into that here in a second with the plot. But, yeah, I don't, that's all I got to say about the poster. I, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add. I mean, other than, you know, he is clearly top and only billing listed on there. If you look at it, the way yeah, it just highlights his, you know, his name. He's the fucking star. Yeah. Aggressively so. And rightfully so. But we'll get into that. So we open on a panning shot of a suburban neighborhood at night, and we hear a voice that's quickly revealed to be talk radio host going by the name of Hard Harry. He's doing a monologue that makes it clear that he's in high school and full of teen angst. He's got kind of that, like, suicidal but with a sense of humor vibe to him, which, you know, kind of probably described me at that age as well. Uh, We get a couple of key pieces of info from this this intro monologue here he's doing a pirate radio show he makes a comment that the price is right and then he laughs so i assume that means it's free and uh he's also horny as a tin peckered owl which i don't know what that means <laughs> i mean i could maybe like obviously i know what those words mean but is that meaningful to you a tin peckered owl uh no yeah it's not a thing that i know of it's a funny little phrase but it it to me, at the time, it sounded like he was just crafting something out of, like, archaic folklore. That, that I felt no like sense. I missed something. I felt like there was some sort of reference there I was missing, but I didn't have the uh, courage to look it up. So <laughs> we'll never know for sure unless we get a listener eventually and they write us a letter, much like Hard Harry got his letters from his listeners. I'm not renting the P.O. box. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'll have uh, Chuck U. Farley, Mr. <laughs> Charles U. Farley, rent the, the box for us. So uh, we never actually see this mysterious hard Harry, but he ends his address with eat your cereal with a fork and do your homework in the dark, which, you know, is poetic. It's, I suppose. I don't know. It's pseudo poetic. Yeah. It's quirky. Yeah, that's probably more of it. It's appropriate for someone his age who thinks they're creative. Either way, it's, it's saying, you know, color outside the lines is basically what it is. Yeah. It's think outside the bun. That's what he's saying. <laughs> uh, and this is where we get the credits, which Dan had mentioned earlier, where it's basically like spray paint kind of font. And it's very like 
very, very cheaply done. Like the, it seems out of place. Yeah, it's kind of laughable to today's standards, certainly. But I mean, it, you could see the budget is low at that point. <laughs> it, and not only does it seem out of place, it 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 kind of gives you a weird tone of the movie at the beginning because not only that, but the the soundtrack music kind of takes that sort of is this is this a violent film? Is this a yeah uh, kind of warriors kind of warriors yeah. vibe with a little less disco overtones? Sure. <laughs> The perfect amount of disco overtones, if you ask me. Uh, so we start with a, a school bus, kids passing around a cassette tape while we get some ADR of them talking about him playing Ice-T and then talking about his dick. Uh, there's a lot of fucking gnarly ADR in this movie. Like, just horribly obvious ADR where they went back in post and had people just... Kind of remind me of the, the intro overdub of uh, Can't Hardly Wait, them talking about the party. For sure. Uh, all right, so... Real quick, because I'm sure there's somebody out there listening, uh, and I can think of a handful. Talk about ADR real quick. Okay, so ADR is a. Uh, it's basically I can't remember what ADR actually stands for. I would guess something like additional dialogue recording or something like that. But it basically means like if they got bad sound on the day when they were filming with the cameras, or if they didn't get what they needed, if they missed a line, if something happened where they needed additional dialogue, kind of in the background. Somebody records that dialogue. Sometimes the actual actors will come in, like if it's if it's their dialogue, and they'll basically speak the dialogue into a microphone while watching the film, so that the dialogue's being captured is better. Yeah, it's it's like punching in on it with in, into a track. It's also um, I feel like it's done on a routine basis, or at least it used to be done when it came to uh, obscenities and so on, where they would both. You know they would they would record the original for the theatrical release, and then they would make the the airplane copy where they did to g it up. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, Judd Nelson spent many a day in an ADR booth <laughs> redoing dialogue from the Breakfast Club for airplane viewing. <laughs> but yeah, it, there's a lot of like additional dialogue thrown in, and it's just, it's clear because if it's not well done, it sounds like it was recorded on a different day with different equipment. It sounds like outside the mix a little bit. Uh, sometimes a lot of it, but there's a lot of that in this. And you, you see that a lot with like low budget movies because they can't afford to have really good audio on the day. So they have to, there's movies where they don't have any audio when they're filming and then they have to go back and do all the audio in ADR after because it's just more reasonable to do that. It re- but, reminds me of dropping in the uh, the music to dance scenes in films. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, or it's, they're dancing to nothing. There's a scene in this movie that I'm pretty sure that's what's going on, and we'll talk about that <laughs> later. But, yeah. So, anyway, we get some ADR of kids talking about Harry's uh, show. And, you know, it's funny when Ice-T is like a sign that someone's edgy and underground. You know, motherfucker's been on, you know, Law and Order for yeah. <laughs> 15 years I mean, or whatever it, it, it is. It dates the film. You know, it dates yeah. it, obviously, especially considering that, you know, it, it was his his early work anyway that was on there. It's it's hardly even towards, like, the gangster stuff that he was known for later. This is more the sex rhymes. Yeah, I was surprised by one of the the, the song that we'll get into here in a minute that is uh, an Ice-T song that's very clearly featured. But, uh, yeah, so we're seeing the perfect convergence here of 80s and 90s, in my opinion. In the fashion and the music, it's like, I don't know I can think of a better example of those two things meeting. You know, it's a little bit too early for full 90s for me. Like, 90s is is when I went to high school. Right. Went to high school 90 through 94. And, you know, obviously you a little bit older than me, so you went to high school at, what, 85 I, to 80, 89, 89, something like that? Yeah. 
So like you you kind of it's it's like this movie is basically us mashed together. Yeah, it's it's like to me the most '90s level entry is Samantha Mathis's haircut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it is a little reminiscent of Molly Ringwald Breakfast Club, but it takes up '90s. She made it '90s by dyeing that shit black. <laughs> she Ellie sheeted it up. Yeah, she did. Minus all the dandruff. Uh, the bus pulls up to, to Hubert H. Humphrey High School. Wonderful name. And as the kids get off, an administrator begins cherry-picking students, naming them as he does so. Uh, we don't know what this means here, but it, it will have uh, meaning later to us. We also meet a few of uh, what will be our main cast. We meet Paige, played by Cheryl Pollock. She seems like an overachiever, lots of pressure from her dad, talking about picking her up after yearbook and her impending history exam and all that kind of shit. And then we see Maz, or Maz, which I think is a play on the character's last name, played by Billy Morissette. He's kind of a mix between Johnny Rotten and Billy Idol, <laughs> you know, certainly in looks. I mean, you know, you're right. Take the take the bleached blonde hair and just kind of have that, like, sort of snarl look on his face. Yeah. Kind of dopey, but also he's the kind of guy that, that will probably say something funny, even though he's kind of a dope. And he also, for Arizona, seems to have an East Coast accent, too, so I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> you just, like, that's the Dan, is picking up <laughs> fucking East Coast accents on all these characters when they're supposed to be in the fucking the West or the Midwest. Mark's the East Coast transplant in here, and he doesn't seem to have that accent at all. He's got the, uh, he's got the accent of Jack Nicholson. That's the accent he's got. <laughs> Much less this time around. Yeah, still a lot of it, though. Still a lot of it. So Maz hollers at Paige, and he, literally, yo, Paige. <laughs> and when she looks at him, her face drops in realizing that it's not like one of her friends calling her out. And then he retorts with laughing and then saying, anytime, anywhere, beautiful. And then he addresses Paige's dad with a Mr. Page. <laughs> now, anytime, anywhere, beautiful, obviously an allusion to anytime that you know she wants to fuck him, he's down. It could be creepy and and kind of aggressive, but something about the way he delivers it does not feel creepy or aggressive to me. It it feels playful. It's the dumb smile on his face. Maybe that's what it is, but this actor slash character pulls that line off and makes me not feel like he's a rapist in waiting at this point. It's it also and I this is hard for me. I I keep evoking the Breakfast Club. I don't know why, but. You've got that kind of you know teen movies that that play <laughs> off of you know um, you know where where Molly Ringwald's being hit on and it's <laughs> he he just doesn't relent on her. Yeah, I mean in Breakfast Club it is menacing. It's it's like I mean it's designed to be, but even just initially it's gross. And yeah, this doesn't strike me as gross. It just struck me as like him being silly, yeah. just trying to be shocking a little bit. Anyway, uh, next we meet Nora played by the previously mentioned Samantha Mathis and her friend Janie, who I don't think we ever get Janie's name in the movie. It doesn't seem like it jumps out in my memory. So Yeah, I, I mean, I know it because I looked it up, but she's played by Lala Slotman, which is a name I don't know how to say <laughs> properly and also not an actress I'm familiar with otherwise. She's, she's kind of dressed like a librarian from the 50s. If she was wearing a poodle skirt the whole movie, you'd get the picture. Yeah, I mean, and she, it's funny because between her and Nora, played by Samantha Mathis, they're exactly what we're talking about. They they look like chicks in the 90s. These are girls I went to high school with for sure. 
Yeah, they're they're picking up on fashion tropes where they're they're pulling out of the um, resale closets and things like that. Yeah, big time, big time. Um, Nora and Janie sarcastically comment on Paige being rich and beautiful and perfect and smart and all that. So we we're getting a sense that first of all, Paige is kind of a popular girl, kind of a goody goody, and then Nora and Janie are like the alt chicks. They're they're the ones that are going to be smoking. You know, on the corner with the fucking metal dudes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. We cut back to the administrator who was pulling kids off the bus, and he, he pulls one last kid off the bus named Cheryl, a young lady. And he leads the kids away, saying he's going to take them to the principal's office. And then they get to the principal's office, and we see Principal Crestwood, a very severe-looking woman, <laughs> uh, whose name I forgot to, to add here, and I, I don't really care if I'm being I think honest. it's Annie Ross, actually. Is it? Is she someone sure. that you know from other things? Only in looking it up. She looks familiar to me, but not not enough that I could name her. She reminds me of one of, I, almost a principal from Greece, actually. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. Part of why I didn't look up the adult actors in this is because the adults in this movie are the worst part of it <laughs> in terms of the quality of writing and the quality of acting and everything so i think subconsciously i just was like i give a shit about the kids i don't really care about the adults (laughs) which is kind of funny because i didn't think about that till right now so we cut back to nora giving janie a cassette tape and we get hard harry's full name which is happy harry hard on and nora refers to harry as a total sex maniac which made it sound very dated to me that comment but it made me laugh as well yeah it it doesn't fit and then she tells janie that he comes on at 10 o'clock every night which is really her telling us that he comes on at 10 o'clock every night because that that'll be important during this plot Uh, so we get a lot in that first three minutes we get a lot of fucking details some heavy exposition for for the uh opening credits scene yeah yeah Now that's over, we cut to a shot moving towards the sliding glass door of what appears to be a normal-looking suburban house. It seems now that we're in the evening time. I imagined probably closing in on 10 o'clock, based on the previous (laughs) scene. We get a close-up of a very retro-looking clock flipping from 9.59 to 10. Literally flipping. It's like a mechanical clock that has little flaps of... the old-school digital where it literally... (laughs) just turns like a rolodex yeah that's just some shit you do not see anymore um and then we get some panning close-up shots of harry's uh studio filled with audio equipment and honestly i couldn't tell if this was like era accurate or if he had shitty equipment i was kind of wondering if you had a take on it it as far as it goes um it is reminiscent of equipment that several of my friends had uh it it looks like it's an amalgamation of, you know, something somebody's dad had, and then somebody's cousin gave him to it. it it's it's a hodgepodge of the equipment itself when it came to the, you know the actual, you know, music equipment that he used with the reel, the reel, um, things like that. Yeah. It it doesn't look inaccurate per se. It it definitely looks like, you know, he went to some garage sales and you know picked up some secondhand equipment though. Yeah, well, I I, remember, I I thought, like, hmm, some of that looks really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like it would be able to do much. So, he obviously, yeah, obviously, you, you would have to infer that he has some, some know-how when it comes to putting it together with electronic equipment. Yeah, that, that, way, that makes sense. So Harry's starting his radio show for the evening. 
First of all, I like his on switch, which I assume is uh, the ham radio that he flips on because it says hard written above it, like hard on. Uh, I thought I thought that was cute. Uh, he's got his wild cherry diet Pepsi, as we mentioned earlier, and he's got his blackjack gum. And he literally says those as part of his like intro, which I thought was very amusing. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi and uh, I got my blackjack gum here. <laughs> and then the first thing I saw thought when I saw the blackjack gum was. I'm pretty sure that Dan got me buying blackjack gum for a minute back in the day. And I can't remember if that's true. I know for sure there was, I went through like a blackjack gum period. It is true. Yeah, I think it came from you. It <laughs> so, definitely came from me. I had it in my jean jacket pocket and yeah. So weirdly, like I was inspired by this movie through you who was inspired by this movie. Yes. Which I think is funny because I didn't really even think about that. Like until I saw this this time. I was like, wait, blackjack gum? Is that where that came from? <laughs> the first thing I thought when I saw that blackjack gum. That's 100% where it came from. That's awesome. I, I'm i still, I'm stuck on this wild cherry diet Pepsi. Like It it seems like a weird, it's so specific. Is it, it a product like placement? A mar- it's, yeah, it seems like a marketing ploy. It's weird. It's like, it's so specific. Wild cherry diet Pepsi. <laughs> that and cock rings. Yeah, yeah. I think I might not have mentioned <laughs> cock rings in here, but Happy Harry Hardon mentions cock rings for sure multiple times yeah so uh yeah anyway i I, you know as did you i made some notes of the cassettes that were laying around his studio and i thought it was kind of funny just i mean he had the sound garden louder than love he had some random camper van beethoven single he had doolittle by the pixies and then he had like you said that henry rollins hard volume but it's like a dubbed copy it's not even Mm -hmm. like a, a original copy and then I think that the, those tapes are like reused in multiple shots where they're yeah. in a pile and then they're scattered on the desk. <laughs> they they pan up and down on it a couple times throughout the film. Yeah. It made me laugh. It's a good it's a good mix of stuff. It's appropriate. It does give us a, a view into this fucking guy. Yeah, it kind of it, it's kind of like trying to give him some some cred when it comes to the music of, of you know what was hip and what wasn't. We'll get into it a little later because we haven't really met his alter ego yet, but I feel like the music that he chooses and his taste in this stuff, it sort of betrays the way he seems as a person in the world. Yeah, you're talking about his everyday. Yeah, like, you know, we'll get to it, but he seems like kind of a nerd and not the kind of guy that would know anything about fucking Henry Rollins. <laughs> like, you feel like if you know Henry Rollins, you've you've lived a little life, you've been ex- exposed to some stuff. I don't know. It it didn't get that vibe from him as a person outside of as this Harry character. So I, I I might jump ahead here for a second. He's 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 moved here recently. He's transplanted. He's from I want to say New York, and now he's in Arizona. He hasn't made any friends at this point. He might be reverting to like a turtle shell, you know, type of you know exterior when he's out and about in the real world. Whereas, and he's more comfortable with yeah the nighttime so maybe in New York with his yeah back back. Back with Back his old east. crew. Yep. Yeah, maybe in New York he's fucking out there and he's going to shows and shit. That that would make more sense. I mean, think about it. You know, you've you've moved um, in your youth, and no, you're for sure. When you know you moved from California to Illinois, you know what was that? Junior high. Yeah, it was right before junior high. School. So there's there's definitely, especially back in the '80s, there's some dissimilarities between how how kids are. You know, from from coast to coast, or you know, coast to Midwest, whatever the case might be. So he might be he might be just kind of in like a self preservation mode with his social status. 
this is why we're doing this because that's a hundred percent true. Everything you said right there makes perfect sense. And it absolutely answers my question and makes this character a little more, uh, a little deeper because that, that makes perfect sense. It, it never, it never jumped out at me as, as like, why, why is, why is it? I mean, is, is he schizo? You know, it's, yeah, <laughs> it seemed more natural to me. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. You, you, you got his number apparently. <laughs> So Harry's intro music, which we'll hear multiple times in this movie, is Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen, which I personally hated this song back in the day. <laughs> I, I couldn't, the fucking bass, you know, the doody, doody, doody sound. You know what? It's drove like, me nuts. It, when I first heard it, I felt that this was a song that was, was much older than it actually was. So when I went out and I actually got the CD that, that you know, with this album, yeah, I was surprised on on how recent it was comparatively speaking because it sounds it sounds older. Leonard Cohen's been around for a long time, but at at this point, this was this was a current current work for him. It wasn't like yeah, he it was, was like a couple of, just a couple of years earlier, right? Yeah, he wasn't like pulling from deep in the catalog. Um, and then you know, you've, since you've hated it, you I don't know if you went back and actually listened to the whole album that it came off of, and. While it's it's all signature Leonard Cohen stuff, I think that some of the instrumentation, um, some of the some of the the stuff, you know, when it came to be used, like the music, the synthesizers sound a lot shittier and cheesier than I would have imagined for yeah. for the budget involved and somebody you know of his status. But it was weird. Yeah, no, I really haven't. I think I might have listened to it back, you know, in the '90s. But I. I his voice is fine. It's deep. You know, it's sort of the same kind of Johnny Cash thing where, like, it doesn't speak to me for some reason. I, I It's fine. It's deep. It sounds macho, but uh, it doesn't draw me in. Well, I'm gonna, I, I, I'll diverge there in the fact that I have a warm spot for it in my heart. And it reminds me of, again, a couple of my friends back in the day. It brings me back to, to those times just driving around in the car with them. It makes sense. Well, I mean, I like it here. I guess I think of this movie when I think of this song. So in that way, I, I don't mind it. And I, it doesn't offend me now like it did back then, but I just couldn't. The, like, loungy kind of style of the music <laughs> was so not my bag. Nothing I listened no. to would sound like that back in the 90s. So No, I mean, it definitely point, points out the Mark character is pretty eclectic in his musical taste. But at the same time, this I, everybody knows to me is is irrevoc- irrevocably tied to pump up the volume I, yeah. I can't hear that song without thinking of pump up the volume i can't think of pump up the volume without hearing that song well when we get to fun facts i'll uh, i'll tell you how it ended up in this movie probably it might be interesting to you Got it. if you didn't already read it i have fucking, not you you little saucy minx you spoiler uh so finally we see Happy Harry Hardon is played by Christian Slater. He's using a very subtle voice harmonizer that makes his voice just slightly deeper and, you know, kind of a little off-putting, but <laughs> it's very subtle, like to the point where... It and because him his, sound muddy. Yeah, I mean, his deeper, mannerisms and the way he speaks, his cadence is so specific to him that it's like, that just sounds like Christian Slater. It's not doing anything, really. Again, you know, jumping too far ahead, I'm sure, but... If I was his parents listening to his broadcast voice, I would immediately know that's my fucking son. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about that for sure. Um, <laughs> so while Harry's making his evening address about the hardships of being a teenager, we see a bunch of kids 
like different cuts of kids, various locales listening to them on their radios. So like kids in their bedroom, kids in the car, you know, kids outside uh, in a fucking park, just wherever you could have a radio. There's kids listening to this fucking guy. It's also here that we get our first hint of Seth Green as Maz's sidekick, but just a hint, just a hint. Yeah, blink and you miss him right here. Yeah, he's got the fucking, he's got long hair in this one, which is pretty great. Uh, So Harry complains about his parents selling out and moving to this town, which we find out is called Paradise Hills in Arizona, though it's actually filmed in uh, near Santa Clarita, California, which is not too far north of where I'm at. So when Paradise Hills comes up, it makes me think of, you know, I don't know anywhere in Arizona at all. So I've got a friend and she moved into Paradise Valley, Arizona. So I immediately reached out there and said, did you in Paradise Hills? It's like it's a made up place. Yeah, that's definitely not a real place. <laughs> oh yeah. Santa Clarita is a nice a nice city. It's if you went north from where I live over the hill and then through the valley over another hill up until like Ventura County, it's like a kind of richer white person suburb. Um it's I think it's nicer than what it looks like in this movie. Maybe this is what it looked like in the 80s slash early 90s. But. I don't know. It's it's definitely the area they're filming in is, is kind of like a developing community. There's a lot of tract housing that isn't finished you know, with landscaping. And you can see it almost looks like new construction and some you know, weird placements. Yeah, definitely. I, I had a weird fi- vibe from it of like um, of the community in Poltergeist. Okay, you know something okay. about that looks similar to me, even though they're <laughs> not like filming they were, the same place. It looked like they were building on an Indian burial ground. Got it? Yeah, exactly. I thought maybe Happy Harry Hardon's studio was built on an <laughs> Indian burial ground. So the sliding door opens up to this movie was going to take a weird turn. Bodies coming through. up in this in his in his studio. That would have fit that in the uh, credits better, right? Better than better than the actual <laughs> movie. So uh, after briefly strumming on what looked to me like some kind of a Gibson Les Paul, Harry asks his listeners um, if they're ready for the incredible sound of Hard Harry coming on his own face, which made me laugh out loud when he said that. (laughs) Yeah. And then he proceeds to mimic the sound of a guy beating off, much like Dan's doing right now, furiously smacking his palms together. Exactly. (laughs) While, While narrating the experience, which his narration is very much like... Oh, oh, here here it goes. Here it comes. Oh, it's going to be a gusher. That kind of, yeah. you know, that kind of shit. Um I think honestly that some of the some of the masturbation jokes are, are they ground it into more of a juvenile direction than the rest of the film kind of aspires to be. But it might actually be for the benefit of the movie because you know, you want to take it seriously, you want to take him seriously, but also he's just a kid fucking around on a radio, so. Right, and, that, and I think that's kind of why I use the word ground it. You know, it grounds it in the juvenile area. I don't think yeah. it hurts the film, but you're right. I think it makes the character more of a plausible 16, 17-year-old. Yeah, yeah. And throughout all of these, like, radio addresses that he does in this movie, they just cut back and forth from him talking to the kids listening and you know so you see a lot of a lot of shots of kids listening intently to the radio or laughing at something he said or kind of jokingly commenting on it or you know singing along shit like that it's very yeah it's 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 like a studio audience to an extent yeah yeah and it cuts back and forth a lot so instead of me saying that all the time just assume it's happening (laughs) and any radio broadcast that's taking place there's definitely reaction shots to it indeed one of the kids listening is Paige in her very girly looking bedroom. 
uh, she turns down the radio so her dad can remind her of her Yale interview tomorrow, as well as saying that he doesn't want her to look too sleepy. Kind of laying it on a little thick here with the uh, the tropes. I mean, we get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's the, that bedroom looks like it belongs in a dollhouse. Oh, for sure. That's exactly what I thought. It, it's so overly girlified. I mean, I guess... If she was on the bed brushing her hair repeatedly, it would have <laughs> fit right in. Exactly. <laughs> counting the strokes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess the idea is, like, probably that it's not even her bedroom. It's, like, her parents have put it together for her as what they... It's kind of what they want her to be, and so it doesn't really represent her as a character. There you go, but dollhouse. Is, She's their doll. Exactly, yeah. I think that, that would make sense, but it's really overdone. I guess in that way, it's exactly rightly done, because it implied exactly what we're, what we're thinking here, so may, maybe they nailed it, but it, it, it jumped out to me. Back to Harry, who is now reading listener mail. Apparently people send him mail asking for advice, which I thought was funny. <laughs> like, it's, he's got enough of a fucking audience that people sending mail. <laughs> right. It, that's, to me, that's the part, that's that's one of the parts that's not very plausible. Um, it, it implies that he's only been doing this for a little while. And that, like, two people, three people at the high school actually know, you know all of this at that point when we're introduced to this radio show. Yeah, and and yet he's got a pile of fucking mail exactly. from, from people. So some of it, I mean, some of the pile is is you know some LPs and stuff like that that he's sent away for obviously mail order right. well, records and stuff. Kudos to him for going viral somehow. You know, I wish <laughs> he could give us his secret. I guess the secret is be Christian Slater, right. probably. That's the secret. But uh, be the new kid. Yeah, he he offhandedly mentions his PO box uh, that he that you can send mail to, and uh, at the same time we cut to the hands of a kid typing on a keyboard, like a computer keyboard, and we see the screen and we can see that he's asking Harry if he should kill himself. So little little uh, foreshadowing there. More letters from kids asking questions that allow Harry to give us more details about him. He says he just arrived in this stupid suburb. He has no friends, no car, no license, and nowhere to go but the mall. If he's lucky, he can play video games, smoke a joint, and get stupid, which I enjoyed his little diatribe there, mostly <laughs> due to just Christian uh, Slater's delivery of those lines. Yeah, and, and since you mentioned it, his delivery, um, it definitely, it he he owns this character pretty, pretty, pretty damn much. He has made himself mark slash harry when it comes to this he he delivers so. yeah i'm with you i many times watching this was like bravo sir bravo keep doing it uh his 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 kind of diatribe it's sort of about it's an exhausted decade with nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to and this is kind of accurate to how i felt in the 90s when i was in high school so i i think i would have potentially enjoyed happy harry hard on as a listener if if i'd been there i mean credit to alan moyle i mean he he definitely was able to to find a nerve when it came to you know the the late 80s you know early 90s youth and and he pulled on that nerve yeah well after getting deep harry cuts the tension with another masturbatory session and I'm going to be honest with you, at this point, when he's, like, starting to do it, he goes, like, oh, no, not again. The creature <laughs> stirs. When he said the creature stirs, I literally just started cracking up. Oh, no. Not again. The creature stirs. Oh, God, I think it's going to be a gusher. <laughs> I looked at my wife. I was like, the creature stirs. It's fucking... That's, like, that's where you're, like, okay, this guy should fucking be a writer of some kind, this character. He should do something with this. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that. Yeah, the creature stirs. 
Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> Dan calling me out for I should do something with that. Uh, he mimics another climax, this time by beating the shit out of some empty boxes with a golf club while listening very appropriately to Love Comes in Spurts by Richard Hell, which is not a song I'm familiar with other than this movie. Yeah, I I used to think it was um, I used to think it was the Buzzcocks back in the day. Really? Yeah, I'm not sure why. There's a lot of moments like that for me on this where I looked. To, I had to look up who these songs were because I thought they were one, but I want to make sure, and I was wrong probably half the time. So Maz gives us another little piece of info when he says, because the, the show ends, and then it cuts to Maz saying, there he goes, sometimes on for five minutes, sometimes for five hours, which is very convenient for the plot because it means we don't have to listen to him for five hours yes. <laughs> right now. It's also it's interesting the fact that there's... No, you know, as far as this goes, you would think that people would be more curious than they are as to who this kid is. I mean, they speak about like who is he, who is he throughout, like you know, your ADR mentioning here, right? Um, but he's dropping hints left and right, intentionally yeah. or unintentionally, whatever. But it really wouldn't take a rocket scientist or you know Sherlock Holmes to figure out who this guy is in this this small suburban town of a where the high school has uh i think 1200 students it's cited <laughs> but there's only five teachers <laughs> <laughs> you called it out yeah we'll get there too um yeah no i agree i, I it's there's not a, there's no Sherlock Holmes brewing in these hallways that's for sure yeah so uh, Harry dances out of his studio and into his parents' dining room. His mom and dad are watching TV and discussing why they moved to Paradise Hills, uh, very conveniently for us, the audience. It seems his dad is the youngest school commissioner in the history of Arizona. And I wanted to ask you, is the school commissioner a fucking thing? Um, I'm assuming it would be a position on the school board itself. I know superintendent is below the school board and has to answer to the school board. So there's probably a commissioner when it comes to the school board itself. Now, it seems that Mark's father acts in kind of an, an autonomous uh, capacity here, as in yeah. he is the be-all, end-all voice of what is going on, but... He's like there's an emissary. No yeah, there's. Yeah. It's it's like it's almost like a, they they took the school board and just simplified it by saying it's one dude. Yeah, it's one guy. He's just the guy. He's in charge. But whatever the case, we get the sense that his dad was probably an idealist back in his youth, and then you know had kid had a kid and got married and wanted to make a little more money and be a little more comfortable. And based on the brief interaction between Harry and his parents, it shows that his parents care about him, but they're disconnected from him. And by the way, I'm going to refer to him as Harry until. Uh, they explain that he's not Harry because at this point we haven't heard his actual name yet. We just know him as fucking Harry word. Yeah. So, uh, we see Harry going through papers on his dad's desk. He basically leaves them in the, they're sitting in the dining room. He goes to his dad's office and he pockets some paper from his dad's desk. So we know his dad is the school commissioner and Harry's in here stealing something off his desk, which of course will pay off here in a little bit. His dad comes in, they argue, more or less about the fact that Harry is doesn't have friends and he doesn't seem like he wants to make friends there. And this is where I was kind of confused because like you said, it, there's the implication throughout this movie that he's been here. He's been here kind of recently. Like he hasn't been here for years. Yeah. I mean, but, the fact that they're having this, this dinner table conversation about moving here and why they moved here. makes it seem like to me recent. that conversation would have ended a month after moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nebulous as to how long they've been here. Sometimes it seems like, two months sometimes it seems like two years it's really hard to 
I, I maybe it's supposed to be. Maybe we're not supposed to get a sense of how long it's been. Maybe it's because it's supposed to feel like a lot longer to Mark it's, slash Harry than it than it has been. But true. But I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and say that it's his dad's first school board or his first meeting as school commissioner comes up in the movie itself as we're watching it and it's highlighted at this is his first big meeting so it can't they can't have been there that long um i don't imagine that any school academic year would run without having some sort of meeting where he would have some level of involvement it's, it, it's almost like he just has has been waiting in the wings <laughs> to jump in at this point maybe the the previous commissioner got fired under a black cloud and they brought this guy in like in an emergency it's i mean possible but at the same time too as we see um i mean the the two students pulled off the bus later on we found out their their actual fate and at the end of the movie we find out that during you know the first month of school a lot of this stuff went down you know, and, yeah. and these two students that are pulled off the bus. It's it's either around the same time that this is happening, and there's some of the same students, or it's the second wave. It couldn't be it couldn't be too deep into the school year. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm. There'll be moments later where we talk more about this because I feel like there's there's conflicting information given to us, and maybe it's supposed to be the unreliable narrator, but I don't know. I think maybe it just is like a plot holes that they didn't feel like fixing <laughs> yeah i think sometimes things are just done in the convenience of time something that yeah. we're not good at <laughs> well yeah exactly <laughs> so harry counters uh, his parents argument basically saying that the deal was he gets good grades and they leave him alone which again i can relate a little bit to that although at some point i just stopped getting good grades and they left me alone anyway <laughs> cut to the next day at uh, hubert it's, is it, <laughs> it's such a like hard name to save high school <laughs> Hubert H. Humphrey High. Something like that. Hubert H. Humphrey High. Uh, Yeah, we're back there. And Nora and Janie are talking about Harry, wondering who he actually is. Again, probably not too hard to figure out if you really try. And in a minute here, we'll see Nora figure out in like five seconds, but (laughs) spoiler alert. Um, It's all around the blackjack gum. Yeah, they assume that he goes to the high school. It's the smoking uh, gun. Yeah, the, the smoking gun is the blackjack. But it was at this point where I am falling in love with these girls. I I love them. I love. So both it was both, huh? I I love them. They're great. They're they're like yin and yang, dude. They're like peanut butter and chocolate. Janie's digging in the past a little bit, and Nora's looking to the future. Yeah, I mean, you got Janie's got the long blonde hair, the like librarian glasses, the kind of you know geeky geeky cute, and then you've got fucking Nora, which we've already talked about. She's got the like black hair, kind of short bob thing, and. She's super pale skin, you know, barely has eyebrows, just fantastic all the way around. Great big smile. Yeah. <laughs> she does kind of have a doll face. I, I love it. Yeah, well, they're fantastic. I'm okay with it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it starts here, but it, it continues throughout the movie. And I just, I love I love these chicks. They're so accurate for that era, too. <laughs> That's really, for me, it just brings me back to high school. Yeah, even with her, um, when Nora throws on some some nice red lipstick, it's... It fits to that moment, you yep. know, where you can tell that she's clashing fashion. I could literally name girls that remind me of of these characters. Like, it's just so perfect. Same, same. And and going back to the the, the friends that pulled this movie as their inspiration, I remember at some point, um, at least one of them had a girlfriend that that resembled Samantha Mathis at this in this film. 
you should have stole her away. <laughs> Kudos to him. Uh, so then we cut to Harry looking horribly uncomfortable while his teacher, Mrs. Emerson, reads a story he wrote in class. When she asks him to tell the class what he was thinking about when he wrote it, he stammers and says, I don't know, it was late. And then he is saved by the bell. We also see that Nora is in this class and that this dude is like painfully shy. Like he's a he's a far cry from from the Harry we saw expounding on cock rings earlier in the movie. Yeah, you can pretty much feel how uncomfortable his character is sitting at that desk. It's like he just wants to be anywhere except for on the spotlight. Yeah, and like while I had my moments of shyness and there's a lot of things I can relate to and some of them I'll point out to you throughout the movie, but like this level of discomfort, I don't know if I've ever felt it in my life. Um, I don't know. It didn't seem that unfamiliar to me. No, I can, I can, <laughs> I think I can, I don't know, identify a moment or two in, in a college classroom like that. That makes me sad, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Those days are behind you. So yeah. this is also where we learn that his real name is Mark. Um, and then this, particular teacher clearly thinks that he's a talented writer and wants to kind of encourage him to do more. The only so that's English fun. teacher in the school. Yeah. The only English teacher in the school. And I couldn't really tell what kind of class this was. <laughs> it could have been creative writing. It could have been like a, it's definitely a writing class for sure. Yeah. It's something like that, but we get a quick bunch of uh, white bread motherfuckers corralling around page in this next scene. And it, this scene was really weird to me because she's walking towards the camera and all these dudes kind of like come from different directions and like, cluster around her and there's this ADR of them kind of talking to her inviting her to a party and like she's not actually responding to any of them and just they all walk and then they just scatter as they get close to the camera yeah and she just looks uncomfortable it's really weirdly contrived where like you say it's almost like it's almost like they they swoop in kind of like you know blue angels formation (laughs) comes in behind (laughs) their they're forming a triangle behind her as she's the 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 lead And, and then they all peel off it's yeah, different for, sides. It was such a weird scene. And, like, she doesn't respond to any of them. She's just walking, and they, they don't seem to care that she's not responding. They just walk up, and they talk to her, and then they all walk away. And also, they are, like, so ridiculous looking. Like, yeah. fashion-wise and haircuts and everything about them is just, like, dude. White bread like, was a good term for that because yeah. there's, <laughs> there's not, a lot of, not a lot of diversity in, in this film itself. Um, which, you know, maybe that's how suburban Arizona is. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, I, I've heard awesome stories. That you brought that up. It's <laughs> awesome that you brought that up because I said the same shit to Tammy. I was like, hey, let's count how many black people are in this movie. <laughs> and then, you know, the movie became like, there's one, there's one, like an extra in the background, you know? Exactly. And then there's like one or two moments <laughs> where they have a, a black person with a speaking part. And you're like, yes, yeah, I, I, featured I, I, extra. I think there's, I think maybe the news, the newsman's cameraman is black. I don't know. <laughs> there's definitely a guy in the police station that has yeah a yeah he's a detective i don't know if actually i mentioned that in this plot synopsis yeah. so maybe i'll remember when we get there and i can point <laughs> it out to you it'll be like a fun little where's waldo <laughs> and he's and he identifies too he's 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 one of the most empathetic characters in the exactly film. <laughs> one of, he might be one of the best drawn adult characters in the movie if i'm being honest <laughs> <laughs> it is true <laughs> yeah, this this guy's pretty fucking accepting so just like and, a understanding He's got no name, no character name. He's just a guy in the police in the police office. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get cop. there. Maybe I'll remember <laughs> when we get there. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Understanding officer, probably a detective. He's wearing a suit. He's definitely a detective. That or he's just some guy that showed up and <laughs> it was there. 
<laughs> he's not even like on the cast. He's just like in that room when they're filming. <laughs> I got something to say. Uh, so next we're in a random shop class where a kid throws on a cassette into a little mini boombox thing and hits play. And the guy that who's standing there listening to music says, Hey, that's my box. I was about asking, huh? <laughs> and it's like the worst line read, I think, maybe in the movie. It's so like cartoony. <laughs> Hey, that's yeah, my box. It's... How's about asking, huh? Like, how's about made me laugh. For all of the, the, the hefty dialogue you know, that's, that's written in here, you know, it clearly this is the least thought of line. I mean, it seems to me almost like whoever wrote the, the Harry's monologues was a different person than wrote all the other, <laughs> like, ADR lines or, like, short one line. Like, it, it's like they had somebody come up and just punch up the fucking monologues. Right. Like, maybe... I don't know, like M. Night Shyamalan or someone came in and did a punch-up job, like, you know, in their time machine. <laughs> I'd love to give Alan Moyle credit for this, but if he's the same guy that wrote, hey, hey, that's my box, how's about asking, huh? That or he just didn't feel impassioned about it whatsoever and I don't know, just fucking say something. The whole thing is just be, be upset. System. He's touching your radio, man, that you, you yeah. paid $60 at service merchandise for that shit. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, the whole movie is just a delivery system for the hard, hairy monologues, really. <laughs> Nothing else matters as long as we get those. Uh, yeah. The the tape that he puts in, we were talking earlier about Ice-T, and uh, it's uh, Girls LGBNAF by Ice-T, <laughs> which, for all you uninitiated out there, well, let's, let's get, get butt, butt naked, naked and fuck. fuck. It's very two-life crew kind of sounding, and I don't, I gotta imagine this is first, right? Uh no, I don't think so. Um, two Life Crew was, I I want to say, probably about two years before this as far as it went with Sex Rhymes. Ice-T started off and, and he was, you know, his, his, his six in the morning was like his, his heavy gangster stuff. And that was only like one or two tracks as his early stuff went on. And it was, it was a lot of Sex Rhymes. So, yeah, this was, this was standard Ice-T as of probably, you know, the late 80s. I definitely didn't recognize it as Ice T when we watched when I watched this movie first with Tammy with my wife and then when later I went back and looked it up I was like oh shit that's Ice T yeah. I really had no idea who it was because <laughs> he sounds younger too you know? yeah, well, I'm used to his voice sure. now <laughs> so yeah He's, definitely this is this is before OG this is when he was OG it's a young unchained Ice T yeah <laughs> for sure. So the uh, same administrator that was pulling kids off the bus in the earlier scene uh, I feel like he's probably the assistant principal i don't That's, know if they ever define his role. i felt like that was what i should assume he is but in this regards he also seems to be the fucking shop teacher i don't know exactly he, he's everywhere too he's like fucking he's like an, an apparition he just appears as if from nowhere i'm just guessing this dude's doing the laps around in the school <laughs> just going from room to fucking to fuck room. with exactly well, you assumed he maybe was a shop teacher. I thought he was just drawn to the shop class by a spidey sense. Like, he, he knew Ice-T was being played in there, but he he quickly puts a stop to the tomfoolery. And uh, we find out that his name is Mr. Murdoch, I think, in this scene as well. See, he also he also had a gym teacher look at one point, too. But then oh, he's, sure. he's got that buzz cut where, you know, may as well be, you know, J. Jonah Jameson, since you mentioned spidey sense. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I kind of got a vibe of fucking the... the guy from breakfast club to bring back to everything but to breakfast club there you go like the he's just got that dickhead fucking administrator vibe but he uh he brings the tape into the teacher's lounge and plays it for the principal and a smattering of teachers who are sitting there and this is where we get a little little more expositional dump he says this is the third one this week before hitting play 
and then they listen to Harry uh, Harry jerk off, and while he yells, uh, take cover, Arizona, Miss Emerson, who's there, laughs out loud, which the principal immediately lights her up for. Yeah, well, you can tell that she's obviously a little bit more sympathetic to the students at the school than than the rest of the four other teachers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's the teacher that maybe maybe one of the students would have a crush on. So... not. Not necessarily because of her looks, but because she's the cool teacher. Right. I mean, but she's also the cool teacher because she's wearing, like, the, you know, the the vest over her clothes. And she's kind of got that, that I just graduated college, you know, hairstyle that she was, she was sporting. And I don't know. It's, it's weird to me, though, that, again, you know, we, we've alluded to this, but... We're in the teacher's lounge. You've got the principal. You've got the guidance counselor. You've got the the guy who is, you know, octopus man. He's got his fingers and everything. And then you've got the, you know, the English teacher. You've got no other no other faculty really to be speaking, you know, speaking of. Yeah, they didn't want to pay more actors. No, <laughs> it's same, just it's just same six people in every scene. <laughs> and I get it that's filmmaking sometimes, but it stood out a little bit here to me too, just because they're in every fucking scene together. Mm-hmm. It's like, do they just have the same schedule? Is that what's going on here? Like, and, and their, a, their menstrual cycles are all synced up. <laughs> they're just exactly. They're, 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 <laughs> their bathroom breaks are timed as well. Um, they, but it's just, and it comes to fruition at the end of the film as well. Um, that it's the same, you know, core, and you just yeah. see that core. It's it's like they travel in a pack. Well, if all those people get fired at the end of this movie, who the fuck is going to run this school? Right. It's going to be chaos. Anarchy. So now we're in the library where Nora seems to be minding the till, which I don't... Is that something the kids did, like work in the library? Um, like college kids college do it, for but sure. do fucking high school kids um, do that? I, you know, honestly, I can't even remember my high school's library at this point. Like she takes payment for a late fee. Yeah, she does. <laughs> it seemed she, weird to she me. She calls him up for for twenty five cents. Um, yeah, yeah. Mark uh, returns a, a Lenny Bruce book to her, and they have what could have been a meet cute if Mark wasn't such a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like in all seriousness about it, I'm sure I had interactions with girls that went exactly like this when I was fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, like to a T. So I'm making fun of him, but like I definitely was that bitch. My, my that most age. of my life is those interactions, Lou. Yeah, so, yeah somebody like, somebody could be like broadcasting every sort of wavelength, and and I'm just not picking up on any of them. Yeah, I, I definitely am not this oblivious. I mean, I <laughs> I I was shy, but if somebody was vibing me, I I would probably respond, especially if she's. I mean, she's vibing up to the Yeah, and that you know that it, it, so you're you're meant to feel in this scene, you know, as she's checking the book back in when she says, "Uh oh, you're in trouble." And Mark's reaction is is kind of a gut punch. You're meant to think that you know she's found out something about him, and he's because he's at this point it's the first illusions that he's he's constantly nervous and looking over his shoulder that he's going to get busted as being hard Harry. Yeah, I mean it's the only secret we know he has. So unless he's also got child porn on his, his uh, <laughs> you know laptop, which did they have laptops back then? I can't remember when laptops started to be a thing. <laughs> I don't think so. Might, but yeah, might be on his yeah, Apple IIe. Right. I felt I felt the same thing. I was like, okay, is he, is he think she knows? But again, there's no reason to think that other than just because he's so bad at hiding his identity that anybody should be able to figure it out. So watching this film again, you know, I talked about 
bringing back memories from this timeline and friends. Um, the Lenny, Bru- the Lenny Bruce reference definitely took a couple of my friends down, down his rabbit hole as well. So oh, wow. there was, was heavily influential on, on a couple of my, my, my good friends. Sounds like it. Yeah. I don't think I had any, any friends give a fuck about this movie other than you. So yeah, I don't know if I've ever talked to another I human fuck. being about this movie other than you and my <laughs> wife, I can, I can think of five people massively influenced by this film. That's in, funny. In my well, you know, you said it, you're only a little older than me, but that made the difference, I think. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but th- that being said, a couple of those friends are two years younger than me, so they're oh, right so, in that sweet so, spot between us. Yeah, they're right between us. They're the, the 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 meat in our sandwich, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, this is another scene where I'm falling, falling in love with Samantha Mathis. Like, my love blooms right here. She is just so adorable. And the way she interacts with him, like her kind of, her little flirtatious jokes and, and stuff is just she's great she's great in this no no she's she's cute as hell i also i also noted here that like christian slater at this point was really impressing me because you know he's doing the back and forth from from harry to mark throughout this movie and he's got to kind of navigate it where like you said before i i, I was i call called out a little bit you know, saying that I'm not sure that how shy he was sort of gelled with the the person that he is when he's Harry, but his like choices, the things that he would do to kind of make it to go from one to the other, really felt pretty natural to me. And yeah, I mean, he's I, he's great in this film. Yeah, yeah, he does he does a really good job, and you know, we'll we'll talk about it later. But from what I understand, he's pretty proud of it as well. So that's kind of a cool little tidbit. As Mark walks away, this is something I found kind of strange, and maybe you'll have some some insight on this as well. Uh, Nora finds a picture of him in some kind of like news school letter or school newsletter sitting on the counter, which I was like, why is why she have anything that would have a picture of him in it at that point, just sitting next to her? Like it it was is it a yearbook? Yeah, to me, it's not a yearbook. To me, it felt like it would have made sense in kind of like a new student. Okay, I, you know what I'm saying? You. Like, yeah, and and it would have been something maybe that either they would put in, you know, a, a, the the student newspaper. Whereas, in like these are our new students this year, it could have been something that was put into like a faculty piece, and that yeah. she would have access to as you know, like you said, manning the library encounter um, where normally you would see faculty, uh, but they couldn't afford that sixth teacher. So um, <laughs> they just put fucking Nora there. <laughs> Fuck. Let's, let's just use them again. This makes sense. Um, but yeah, it, it spoke to me of like new student, um, you know, like not explicit. Please welcome but these intro. Yeah, welcome these new students to our school. Exactly. Everyone. But the fact of the matter is that when she, opens it up there's there's dozens so that was yeah, like a, yeah there's a, a bunch lot of, of kids pictures. moving right <laughs> they got to fill up all those empty spots from the kids they're pulling off the bus <laughs> <laughs> well i mean they, they maybe it's maybe it's all future students that are getting kicked out i don't right, know right they're they're like finding kids at other schools who have better sat scores there and busting go. them in there you go Crestwood's sat yeah whatever the case she circles this picture in this fucking whatever this is and says cute but then exes him out and says, but no way. And again, to, to your earlier point, like, do we think she's suspecting he was hairy and then his shyness put her off the scent? Or was she saying he's cute, but there's no way I date him? I am 100% sold on the theory that she is actively seeking hard hairy. And okay. she is, this is her sleuthing. And uh, as she's come across him returning a Lenny Bruce book and, you know, 
you know, was it how to how to talk dirty and influence friends or something like talk, you know, and influence yeah, people? Yeah. It's I can see that being another clue. This isn't you know the the typical typical book that uh, most high school students were being checked out at the time. Um, it was after this film at my high school, but right. Um, it's and, and maybe she talks. Maybe about, she didn't even work at the library. This is all part of her sleuthing. <laughs> she was like waiting for him to return the book. Like she looked up who had who had checked this book out of the library, and she was fucking stalking. She was basically like staking out the library, waiting for somebody to return it so she could identify who it was. Yeah, I don't think it's that far fetched, but <laughs> <laughs> she also just might be doing her community service. I don't know, man. Right? Yeah, it's probably just <laughs> senior project. Some... Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, oh, no, I, I I believe fully that this was her, you know, seeing trying to eliminate suspects. That's where I get. Okay, that. I got you. I'm I'm willing to go with that. I wasn't sure if I was reading too much into it and giving her too much credit as a fucking you know investigator or something. Yeah. But yeah, so another night, another Harry radio address. He then plays Wiener Schnitzel. By the Descendants <laughs> twice in a row. Now, it's a very short song, so that's not an unreasonable thing to do. If you haven't heard this song, it's just... Welcome to Dorena Central. May I take your order, please? Yeah. I want... You want Bill Sperm with that? No! Now, here's a little fun fact for you. Welcome to uh, Dorena Central. A little, little pre- preemptive fact. The way that the, gu- that the guy... I don't know if it's Milo, the singer of the Descendants, that's giving the order or taking the order, but whoever's says, welcome to Der Wiener Schnitzel. Mm-hmm. He says it Wiener Schnitzel, right? He says, <laughs> welcome to Der Wiener Schnitzel, like Schnitzel. <laughs> it it definitely is not, like when I do it, I I'm, I'm trying to figure out the way that they're mispronouncing it. Cause it sounds mispronounced to me. This, this word has been a source of great, great comedy for me and my wife over the last five years or so. At some point, I realized that when I said to her, what's that over there pointing at a wiener wiener schnitzel, (laughs) she would respond with wiener schnitzel. (laughs) And then I would laugh hysterically. And then she couldn't hear that I was saying something different than her. And we go back and forth, wiener schnitzel, wiener schnitzel. And it became like a comedy routine where I really thought she was fucking with me. And occasionally she'd say it right. And then she'd get excited when I was like, that was right. That was right. It was like an exciting (laughs) moment for her. But when I heard him say Wiener Snitchel on this song in this movie, I thought to myself, am I saying it wrong? <laughs> it all comes back to your speech therapy. Who's, yeah, I'm like, who's saying it right? Now we're going back to the episode one where you make fun of my lisp right out of the fucking gate. But it's schnitzel. Yeah, I don't. It's schnitzel, right? Is the, is the correct pronunciation. Wiener okay. Schnitzel. Wiener yeah, schnitzel. I mean, it's to the point now where, where Tammy will say it right most of the time, and it's a little disappointing that we've gotten to that point, because I really <laughs> like it when she says it wrong uh, unintentionally. It's one of the cutest things ever, and yeah, I laughed out loud when I heard fucking the guy from The Descendants say Wiener Snitchel in the fucking recording. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if it is Milo who's who's responding or ordering. Yeah, I looked it up just because I wanted to be able to say an accurate thing, and I couldn't find out who it was. And I don't know what Milo's voice sounds like when he's talking. Right. So, um, I mean, maybe I do. I guess he does do the like, "I want to be classified." That's got to be him, right? <laughs> yeah, but he sounds like he's doing a character. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Fuck it. Who cares? Uh, so then Harry lists all the things he hates, and he ends with guidance counselors. 
And then we see the document that he stole from his dad's office makes an appearance. And it's a letter from a guidance counselor at his school, Mr. Deaver, to the principal, to Principal Crestwood. The letter is basically Deaver recommending that the aforementioned Cheryl, who was pulled off the bus in the earlier scene. We're inferring she's pregnant. Yeah, it infers that she's pregnant and that she was suspended due to her pregnancy. The letter is him recommending her suspension yeah, because she will not. She's unremorseful like, about being Yeah, she's pregnant. unremorseful about the state she's in or something like yeah. that. Uh, which, now, was she suspended or expelled? I mean, I, I don't know if it was. Because I think he recommended one of, you know, he's like this. I, I think I they're playing no it fast and loose with both of those words, yeah. if I'm being honest. I think they kind of use those words interchangeably in this movie. Except and, at the uh, end when. You know, Nora talks about her scenario. Right. Because Mark yeah, questions, we'll, shouldn't that be in a suspension? Yeah, we'll get there and you can you can light you can light me up for being wrong at that point. <laughs> You're wrong. Wrong. So yeah, Harry notes that he has the home phone numbers of every employee at the Paradise Hills School Commission, which again another little hint for <laughs> anybody paying attention. And uh he proceeds to call Deaver at home. He makes Deaver think it's a legit segment for like a radio show about high schools before lighting him up for the letter he wrote. And he calls Deaver slime, which, <laughs> again, this the scene. Bravo, Christian Slater. He does a really good job. So uh, Deaver hangs up on Harry and then Harry continues the show going back into listener mail. This is where we find out that if a listener includes a phone number, Harry will ch- will call them on the air. And uh, Harry calls a listener who wrote that she was being sexually molested by her older brother. Harry's line of questioning is very insensitive, asking if the molester's thing is bigger than a baby's arm. <laughs> Luckily, it's a prank letter, and the girls on the phone just hang up and giggle when he catches on that it's a prank. But it did occur to me here, like, he's he's being very insensitive the way he approaches this. His, like, yeah, his approach is super so. dark when it comes to that. It's like, oh, you were sexually molested? Tell me about his dick. <laughs> Can you describe the aforementioned item? Was it bigger than a baby's arm? Bigger than a bread box. It's funny, but not if it's it's only funny because we know it's a prank. If right. this girl was on the other it's end of the, inset, the call, like crying. Yeah, it's inset with the two girls giggling on the bed. You can see simul, you know, like in real time the reaction to it. But yeah, you're right. If you were if you were just a listener out in the baseball field in your car sitting here listening to this, it would I don't know. It would probably turn your stomach more. Yeah, if I'm Seth Green out in that fucking baseball field, you know, <laughs> sitting in my Jeep with huge speakers, you know, strapped to it, I'd be like, what is this guy doing? He's going to cause damage here. Like, come on, man. But again, <laughs> again, we're we're looking at a 16, 17-year-old where right. their their social responsibility isn't the same as an adult and they, or at least the sense of, the sense of it isn't the same as a, you know, a professional or an adult or, or even, you know, transplanted 10, 15 years later, you know, as, as these things have turned into tragedies over the years, people's uh, awareness of the, of the sensitivities have changed for sure. Yeah. You're not wrong. It's hard for me to really look at it through the eyes of a 1990s person. I mean, we talked about, you know, last time around, you know, all, all the homophobic slurs and stuff and how those connotations didn't seem as heavy or as negative in the time, you know, in in the 90s, the 80s, whatever. It didn't seem to hold the same effect that it does today, where, or at least the same awareness level that it does today, where you know, this, this is not a good thing. Yeah. Well, I bumped on it a bit, but you're not wrong. Um, 
So while he's talking, we see a nerdy-looking kid named Malcolm in his room. He's got a computer, so it seems likely that this is the same kid who was typing the letter to Harry asking if he should kill himself earlier in the movie. Malcolm seems very awkward. Uh, but the craziest part of this scene is when his mom asks him if he w- wants to come down and watch TV with uh, her and his dad. He shrugs her off and says no. And then she responds with a bitchy, <laughs> all right, Malcolm, have it your have way. It your way. <laughs> at that point i i laughed it was so it was so sour like like he didn't the level of spurn that she shows in this moment it it didn't seem yeah. deserving he was just quiet and he's like no <laughs> you know, just, yeah he seems no. sad she's like oh you're sad well fuck you exactly Not, on top of that come like, down and watch wheel of fortune with us what's <laughs> wrong with you you're gonna say no to that what the fuck is wrong with you you're no you son of mine prick. i should have had an abortion god yeah it was it was a little wild and also not well acted by the the mom and not well written by the writer <laughs> no. i mean you know so. what though malcolm held his own there you know he he, he didn't he just he didn't bend. He was committed to not watching Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, exactly. She says, have it your way. And he says, okay. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like Kareem walking through. You know, exactly. <laughs> What's up? No. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. Malcolm has played by Kareem. Uh, yeah, but this is, this is the moment where I really accepted that none of the adults in this movie were going to be three-dimensional characters, and they're oh, all wow. just villains strapping people to fucking train tracks you know and and i looked at this film in retrospect and i was like okay is is crestwood the 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 main antagonist is she the main villain but it's it's literally anyone over the age of 20 yeah other than mrs emerson right but even her she's you know she's she's still kind of one of them as as you see later on where mark just kind of walks away from her (laughs) <laughs> right. Right. She's an afterthought for him. Yep. Uh we'll get there eventually. Uh so Malcolm says thanks and uh she leaves his room and I'm screaming <laughs> at the TV like bitch he's gonna eat a shotgun. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Save your son. Yeah, how do you and again this is painted with such broad strokes that like you're you, you how do you not see your own child as troubled, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's probably is pretty common or was even more so back in the day, but it has to have been, I guess, but it's weird. Uh, the next letter that Harry reads is on red paper in black ink. And it's from a returning guest. The eat me, beat me lady. (laughs) This was another detail that felt very accurate to me for the time. Like I could picture one of the girls I hung out with my junior high school calling herself the eat me, beat me lady. It's not something someone would ever say now. It sounds weird to the ear. But yeah, it fits era. though. It fits though in this in this moment. Yeah, and For and sure. the even down to the red paper and and the handwriting. You know, I I know what you're saying. I yeah. Know. So uh, he reads her poem on air, and it's basically a love letter to him, pretty thinly veiled. And while he's reading it, we cut to Nora in her room reciting it with him. So we know that she's been sending him poetry, and she's the eat me, beat me lady. Um, unsurprisingly, I'm sure to anybody out there paying attention. Yeah, trans- transplant this this film to to today, and you don't get the quite quite the same effect um, through, via text message, in, unless it's accompanied by some pictures or something. Yeah, there's not really. This is one of those movies you can't do now. It's basically ruined. Uh, technology has ruined this per- this uh, premise. Yeah, and and you know, there's there's a couple of elephants in the room for this, but this 
this does kind of speak towards the medium of podcasting itself. So, yeah, we're we're going to talk about that for sure. Um, but absolutely. So her poem ends with "talk hard," which is kind of the motto of the movie. I would think it becomes a catchphrase for sure. Yeah, the mantra. And uh, Harry's response is that quote that you like. I like that. Talk hard. I like the idea that a voice can just go somewhere uninvited. Just kind of hang out like a dirty thought in a nice, clean mind. Maybe a thought is like a virus, you know, it can it can kill all the healthy thoughts and just take over. That would be serious. Yeah, the dirty thoughts as a virus seems to resonate with Nora pretty, pretty hard. What, what do you like about that quote? It just, it it's probably the fact that a voice can enter in you know in float around in in somebody's head in somebody's mind enter enter somewhere uninvited it speaks to the fact that he's broadcasting it, it's kind of talking about exactly what he's doing he's this disembodied voice that nobody knows who he is but it's able to to go anywhere you know it, it without needing permission since he's on he's on the radio that he's he's basically pirated a wavelength for um and and on top of it it's just it's got that the same feel of the rest of the 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 monologues that are are so not heavy-handed but but well-written for for this character the character of Harry and Mark, it's 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 a great way that it kind of encapsulates his character all in that one little monologue. You know that our voices are going anywhere uninvited right now. You know, you say uninvited, but somebody's got to download <laughs> this shit. So <laughs> we're, we're not just like nobody's spinning the dial and stopping right on, on, on this point in my <laughs> where I'm. Yeah. <laughs> yapping. Yeah. It takes a little effort to get our voices in your head. So you're right. I, I, I take it back. It's nothing like that. It's, you know, and it's in <laughs> that's that pseudo poetic um, sort of deep quote unquote deep way, you know, to that again, gives you the whole feel of where this guy's coming from. Yeah. And it, and it meshes with Nora's alter ego of the eat me, beat me lady. It meshes so well in there where, you know, it's, this is, this is what she wants. This is why she's seeking this guy. Yeah, for sure. Well, unfortunately he doesn't, he doesn't know that cause he's lamenting the fact that she doesn't include her phone number and he speculates on what she's really like. And then he plays us an unreleased Beastie Boys song that I don't think is a very good song. It's it's not really. I mean, it's, it's barely a song. <laughs> it's it's got that uh, that eight oh eight state going on it, and it's, yeah, one verse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, Harry talks about wanting a voice to speak up about how fucked up the world is, and it's some pretty hard winking at the fact that he's obviously the voice he's waiting for. Yeah, I mean, he's is he's the self fulfilling prophecy, obviously. Yeah. So we get another letter. Uh, this one is a call from help from the aforementioned Malcolm asking if he should kill himself. And uh, his phone number is included. And then we're going to get another example of Harry being flippant here, starting the call pretty insensitively, you know, like asking him, like, how he's going to do it and, you know, that kind of shit. And that, I mean, that part, it seems really harsh at, at, on the onset of it, and rightfully so. But at the same time, too, you gotta you gotta feel from in the character, in the moment, in the time, he's coming from a place where 
he's probably expecting some of this stuff to be just gags. Yeah, so he thinks this is a prank, too, probably. Yeah, I guess it's hard. It's hard to look back at this and not be of the mind of, yeah, maybe it is, but if it's not, you're really fucked up, bro. Right. So, and I guess, you know, he's going to learn that lesson here pretty aggressively. But, uh, yeah, Harry talks to Malcolm, and it, it's weird to me, and this happens more than once in this, sh- in this movie, where Malcolm is kind of hostile towards Harry. Like, why did you write him in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> I, but, again, I, to me, that's a, that's a realistic take on it, though, because it? think about it. You're in, a, you're in a point where you're so so deep in this hole where you're willing to take your life and somebody, you know, if somebody's flippant, number one, yeah, you can react with hostility. But, like, you're also to a state where you're not stable and you know that 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 momentary lashing out it makes sense like you're you're upset you're angry you're hurt you're wounded those are all those are all feelings that trigger the instinct of of like flight flight or fight you know so yeah. i can i can see him coming out antagonistic in in a response yeah that makes sense well this is also another uh, excuse for harry to let slip another detail this time saying that he sits alone every day eating his lunch in a stairwell while reading a book and then he gives his home address at the end of this it's pretty straight no he doesn't do that but he does do the stairwell eating the book thing he gives he gives his aol handle he gives his fucking blood type and his social security number and signs off uh yeah Mal- malcolm hangs up on harry and harry tries calling him back but malcolm's taking the phone off the hook and you can see that he, he looks like he's probably loading a gun very peacefully, if I'm going to be honest. He's looking down at, it, at the work he's doing with... Uh, the look on his face looks like almost satisfied. <laughs> he's like, it's almost over. I've, I've, never, I've never felt the way that this character is meant to feel in this film. But, you know, watching this kid go through the motions, it, it felt believable to me. It felt believable. Yeah. Even the, the relative calmness that he exhibits, as you know, as you say, where it looks like he's, he's getting locked and loaded. It's just, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable yeah, to, it's, to watch. It's chilling. And it was uncomfortable to watch as you know, as as a, God, what was I, eighteen maybe, watching this, yeah. you know, and seeing somebody, somebody go through this this level of desperation, and giving up and it's just it's it's hard to watch now as an adult knowing that this happens all the fucking time and yeah it's i'm i'm glad it's part of the film i'm glad that they that they used it 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 spoke to me in in a way um in a personal way later in life that um it's it's hard to even think about now for me. So, yeah, I understand. Well, luckily we didn't actually have to see the uh, outcome of it, so that was a probably more powerful too. In that, I think I think now if they made this movie, they would have shown more. And yeah, they would have shown the something. They would have made the noise, or you know, would have you yeah. would have heard some you know, the loud bang. And, shadow in the back i don't know you would have you're right they would have gone a little bit more for for shock value yeah in this they don't it just cuts away and it does not cut back to it yeah and and it's to me though it's it's just as heavy as if they tried to overpaint it 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think more so. I think it's more impactful because they don't try to shock you with some shit. I don't know if you ever saw that 13 Reasons Why show on Netflix, I but I, I can't imagine you would watch it. But yeah, there's a it's no degrees, show man. basically. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not. Um, but yeah, the the actual scene where she does the deed is really hard to watch, and I think they might actually have cut it out of the show after the fact. But yeah, it's you don't need to see that. There's no reason to see that. So yeah, Harry signs off, and he hopes that Malcolm will feel better tomorrow. Um, but you and I both know that he won't. Yeah, I mean, he. You, you simplify it a little bit. I think he goes in a little. He, he shows a little bit more remorse in his initial um, belittling of it. Yeah, yeah. When he can't get him back on the phone, I think he realizes like he might have just fucked up. Yeah, but he's he's hoping for the best, I guess. Um, and the next day, we get a little above the law, which yeah. is, was nice to hear. <laughs> always, always welcome a little above the law. Which album was that from? Uncle Sam's I don't Curse? Know. No, something in something in the eighties, right? Yeah. It was old. It was before I listened to them. That's okay. for sure. Black Mafia, pre that okay. for sure. Pre that. Yeah, that's definitely the album I got onto them. So, the song was called "Freedom of Speech." I don't know if that helps you at all. Place okay. it, but uh, Mark's walking to school and he sees that someone has spray painted "So Be It," uh, one of Harry's catchphrases on a wall there. So now we're starting to see some graffiti. There's, there's clearly. I, again, I said there's an elephant in the room, but this this speaks of a cult of personality a little bit for sure, um, and yeah. then goes deeper down that that path. But it's it's hard it's hard for me to to have rewatched the film, you know, post January six two thousand twenty one, and not tried to remember like what I felt originally. Um, about freedom of speech and then inciting people's actions. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) I don't want to go heavy, but it's, it's weird because, you know, there's, there's two sides, every coin. And while I believe that this film, you know, shows the side I, I like (laughs) knowing that the power to stir people up exists in in negative ways too. Really? Yeah. It fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Donald Trump is happy Harry hard on for sure, <laughs> <laughs> in a, in a really ugly way. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I did think of when like they keep showing these shots of like high school kids just milling about, hanging out, and I, it just it kept bringing me back to fucking freshman or sophomore year of high school, like in a big bad way. You don't really see much classroom activity in in this high school setting whatsoever, but you do see that 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 hanging out social aspect that existed and that's obviously integral to the plot point of getting people you know to have those those conversations about did you hear did you hear him last night did you know and and yeah. parlaying the show and then bootlegging cassettes of it and then passing those on and selling those cassettes which i thought was weird man that that donnie's selling these cassettes for five bucks a pop that's a a pretty high price to pay absolutely especially you know (laughs) based upon you can be on for five minutes or five hours right exactly here's five minutes tape of him for five minutes (laughs) is he scaling it down or what (laughs) maybe the idea is the tape's full it's just like 15 different you know shows all on one tape exactly here's the best of version there you go um, yeah, speaking of which, we see that fucker selling tapes out of his locker, and uh, 
it's not explicitly said that that's what it is, but we know that he's selling tapes of Harry's shows. We also see Janie walking um, while putting a spray paint can into her bag, which was kind of ridiculous to me. Like, yeah. I find like it's fine if she's the one that did it, but we didn't really need to see that explicitly. <laughs> it it's like she, it's like she went into she walked out in the open to, to put the spray paint right exactly, her, into and her like backpack. like what twenty minutes later because it's been spray painted <laughs> exactly. a while. I mean, maybe she did more it work, been but something down the hallway. But you know what I'm saying? Like she literally comes out from the depths of the hallway, out of the darkness, into the court, like into the courtyard or whatever. What did they call that area? The alcove, the, the quad. Yeah, it was, oh, yeah, it, the, alcove. the alcove, and and which hosts like dancing and music and and social activities and it's the you know the wall where you post up you know want to join my band or whatever and she waits until she's out in the sunlight to put the can of red spray paint into her backpack and it's not even subtle whenever i see that so this is going to be a deep cut i'm gonna try to quickly explain it there's a movie called um antitrust starring ryan Philippi as like a guy who gets hired at like a kind of google-esque company and he works for uh what Tim Robbins, I think, is like the, the, the bad guy in the movie. I remember one. I was out. I didn't see it. Yeah, early two thousands movie. But in the movie, he's allergic to sesame seeds, and I believe it's Claire Forlani, but I can't remember who the the female lead in the movie is. But she's basically like working for Tim Robbins, and she's trying to like poison him. And so at a certain point, he like eats something, and he starts to have an attack, and then he like looks back at like. I, I don't remember the exact circumstances. Maybe he just finds a bag full of seeds. But whatever the case, he says out loud to us, the audience, sesame seeds. Like, just in case we didn't recognize what the problem was, like he had to remind us, sesame seeds is the problem. I'm allergic to them. But he just says sesame seeds, and it's become like a joke for me and Tammy. Like, anytime a character does something that's ridiculous for the sake of like, hey, look, it was me that was spray painting. We call that a sesame seeds. <laughs> So yeah, anytime I say sesame seeds now, you know what I'm talking about. But this was full on of sesame seeds right here. <laughs> Your delivery of sesame seeds reminds me of Evil Dead Two, where, where <laughs> all of a sudden like has this moment of clarity as as this dis- you know like demons are attacking him and he goes tool shed. Yeah, <laughs> and it, for sure, it's exactly that. It's like you you now know that he's going to go to the tool shed. <laughs> The thing about that, though, is that that movie, it fits completely, right? Yeah. But in this antitrust movie, it's d- totally unnecessary and seems weird. Like, who is he talking to? <laughs> like, why is he saying sesame seeds out loud? He, he could just think that, right? <laughs> sesame chicken. He's holding, exactly. he's holding the carryout container. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. I didn't eat anything today because my schedule got all fucked up because I had to do notes for the show. Oh. So I have, yet to, I have yet to eat literally anything today. Nothing intravenously? No. No. I had fucking some water so it's okay i've got plenty to spare i I can live for many days before it's a problem like a camel exactly so mark walks up to the bulletin board you were just mentioning out by the alcove um and there's kids listening to music and they're like lazily dancing and it's very clear that they're not actually listening to music it's just they're dancing and then they put the music in afterwards because there's no page it's just the laziest dancing it's it's even less movement than that, dude. Like the <laughs> dancing you're doing right now is way more energetic. It's almost like this. Yeah, Paige, Paige was getting down, man. Paige was getting down. Um, yeah, but Paige kind of she he walks up to the bulletin board and then he's leering over at her from a distance. At least to me, it looks like leering. 
And uh, and at this point, it's the first time we've seen Paige smiling, is this scene right here. Because she's dancing, she's happy, she's smiling, she's getting leered at. She looks over and catches Mark leering, and then she says something to her friend that we can't hear. And then, uh, you know, at this point, Mark looks like he's mustering the courage to go and talk to her. And he walks up to her and he says hi. And then we can see by his body language that he's, like, done with it already before she even says anything. <laughs> and he starts walking away before she can – she, like, says hi to his back as he walks away. It's 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 kind of, the, the like, the, the whip dog uh, behavior that's, like, ingrained in him. He's already – he's – before he's even finishing, you know, the, the high – before the words even come out of his mouth, he's already expecting the rejection, so – I've been marking this scene in, like, multiple ways. First of all, having a crush on the popular girl while totally missing the punk rock alt girl that's showing interest is way hotter than the popular <laughs> girl. And second, botching an attempt to engage through self-sabotage. I've definitely pulled that, that action before, so very relatable to me. Yeah. No, it, it's, and I'm it sure you've got true. your own. It rings true. Yeah. And, and what's the only thing that's not, you know, tied to my life is <laughs> the page says hi back. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't really get the high back. No, yeah, I hear you. I don't know if I did, but <laughs> you were already hightailing it out of there to know. I don't know if he even noticed. I think his. I think his fucking blinders were on at that point. Yeah. He didn't notice. She said hi. His turtle shell was was definitely up. But then, as he's walking away, somebody uh, trades the, the the music that they're dancing to to a Harry Hart on tape, and it's the call to to Mister Deaver. And then, like, fucking Mr. Murdoch appears like the butler in Mr. Deeds again to snatch that tape. He's, like, there before it gets, like, two sentences in, and he's reprimanding them. I fucking laughed out loud when Murdoch tells them that dancing is a privilege and that it can be taken away if abused. It sounds like it's, like, you know, they're they're living in Arizona right next to wherever Footloose was filmed in. I was going to say, I was half expecting Kevin Bacon to come dancing into the scene right there. Like, fuck you, Murdoch. Dancing? Well, you yeah, know, the thing a, about that privilege. where he's – here's the thing. Like you said, he's omnipresent when it comes to snatching cassette tapes. But what the, where's this fucking guy <laughs> when it comes to giant phalluses on buildings and spray-painted walls? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just cassette tapes. I mean, can he smell Only, the fucking spray paint? Like, He's like – he's a divining rod for cassette tapes. Exactly. There's no other explanation. Yeah, he just hates, hates the boom box. I mean, listen. There's a lot of boom boxes in this movie. Hey, that's my not box, a lot of cool, man. Not a lot of cool boom boxes. Hey, that's my box. I was about asking, huh? No, they, they definitely, they definitely all have that like Kmart vibe to them. <laughs> yeah, like I would imagine thirty nine ninety nine for the dual cassette tape. <laughs> exactly. I would imagine they had to buy a lot of them for the movie. So he's like, just buy the cheapest shit. We don't need good shit. Don't get the Sony. Don't. Just oh, get the absolutely shit. not. Get the get the GE, man. Exactly. <laughs> they definitely had General Electric stuff in there. Did you? Is that a call out? No, did you I, see that? They 100% assumption. did. Yeah, there's some close-ups on GE uh, products. Uh, well, there was an endorsement for Radio Shack as well. So, Yeah, definitely some Radio Shack in there. Um, so then we see Nora surveying the quad looking for something. Turns out she's looking for fucking Mark, who she finds sitting on the stairs eating his lunch while reading a book. <laughs> she asks for a stick of gum, but before he can say anything... Blackjackiness. She sees it. She's got the blackjack gum. She then asks him, and this is another fucking moment where I was like, fucking bury me. She asks him if he's really as horny as a tin peckered owl. (laughs) And the way she says it is so flirtatious. I'm like, fuck you, Mark. What is wrong with this guy? It's in denial. It's brutal. Uh, Yeah, 
he's really not responding well to her. She introduces herself and asks if he wants to join her for a smoke in the art supply room, which might or might not be code for something, but we never find out because this fucking guy runs. He's like out of there. He can't even make eye contact. No, it's so it, it, this one, this one hurt me more than the the phone call with Malcolm. If I'm being honest with you, probably because it's, (laughs) I don't know. It struck a more personal tone. Yeah. I I've been Mark there. I've never been Malcolm. Yeah. Mark's fucked up is the point. Yeah. All the characters in here, that's that's the point. They're all fucked up to some degree, and it's obviously the point of the film is to say that that's okay. Is it, though? It is. I mean, it's the point of the film, but is it okay? <laughs> well, again, to varying degrees. It's not okay for Malcolm yeah. to be in the state of yeah, mind Mal- that he's in. Malcolm was a little little, little off to the it side. Was o- it's okay for Paige to want to break loose of her porcelain doll life. Sure, sure. Fucking Paige. I remember thinking Paige was hot when I was young, and now watching as an adult, I was like, the fuck did I see there? Yeah. Like, not that actress. Actress is fine either way, but just the character and, like, the... Like, there's nothing really appealing about her in that first half of the movie. No. No, I mean, it's it's, it's a pretty vanilla character. Yeah. So we're going to get another uh, teacher's lounge scene here, and uh, it's packed full of exposition. There's a lot of Harry cassettes showing up. The graffiti we're being shown is not an isolated incident, to your point, that there he's fucking spotting spotting dimes and eating onions and fucking I mean, finding cassettes around every corner. Last but, scene, this is the third cassette this week, and you know, he's he's able to grab those <laughs> like out of the air. Exactly. He's got a pile of cassettes in the back seat of his car. Um also <laughs> miss lassoing cassettes around exactly. the fucking football field. <laughs> oh fuck. Uh, we also have Miss Emerson wondering what happened to one of her students, which, you know, we remember as one of the kids pulled off the bus by Murdoch. Yeah. If you, if you watch this movie twice in a row, you'll recognize the name she says. Something Chavez. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It only took one time for you. <laughs> uh, and then Principal Crestwood has an announcement to make. And then we cut to Miss Emerson telling her next class about the suicide of Malcolm and Mark is seemingly devastated. I mean, Which, you know, yeah, it's what a shitty thing to find out in the middle of a class. <laughs> there was definitely no, no, uh, no, the lead into that. It was just All right, class. I've got some bad news. And then it's gut, <laughs> gut punch. If I'm Mark, I'm, I'm saying, you know what? I don't feel good. I need to go to the nurse's office and then I'm fucking out of there. Yeah, I mean, but... Christian Slater does a pretty good job, though, of displaying that kind of disbelief shock. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I vibe it. It's believable. He's good in this. I mean, they didn't... <laughs> if they wanted to go heavy-handed, they could have like had like the, the muffled sound come in you know, <laughs> and have like a, a dull ringing taking place somewhere and right, the camera yeah. kind of tilting, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. But, no, it, they, I mean, they he, he's playing those games. Yeah, he he's shows he shows he's devastated, though. He, he You can see it, and... As a result, it helps you kind of feel it. Yeah. I would never want to find out that, you know, or feel that I was in one way, shape, or form, you know, responsible for somebody taking their own life. It's awful. Yeah, that's, awful. that'd be horrible. That'd be horrible. Me either. And that's obviously where his head goes, his initial response. That he, he I mean, let's be honest. He definitely could have made better choices yeah. <laughs> on that phone call. Again, but what is he, 16, 17? Yeah, you know, yeah. and you gotta you gotta remember, it's hard to hold somebody accountable that it's just hasn't had that exposure. He's not a he's not a fucking trained professional. He's 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 young and and 
God knows <laughs> how how many fucking dumb things did you do at that age, man? Like so many. None of them uh, caused the suicide, no, but I but did a lot of dumb I, things. Think about it. Think about all the times that somebody you know you might have said something you know even in passing it didn't mean much to you, but you you called somebody out for something something they were wearing I, you know, as, as being. Stupid. I have I have full on detailed memories of moments like that like that stuck with me these this, this whole time from high school where i said some shit to somebody and i know i hurt their feelings and i didn't fix it in the moment you know yeah. oftentimes i fixed it later but not every time uh and i'm sure there's for every time that you fix it there's probably two that got away and it's you know if you think about that there's these these lost souls out there with have these these issues compounding how they're feeling already it's because of me. Painful. Well, not because hey, of you, everyone but, out there. You know. Anyone I was a dick to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I, I mean, it, in watching in watching the movie again, I thought about it. And I'm like, man, did I ever did I ever miss a cue? Did I ever yeah. did I ever lead somebody down the wrong path because of something stupid I said? And I and I didn't find in my soul searching much, but I definitely found moments where I'm like, yeah, I was kind of kind of had some bully behavior. I'm sorry. Well, I forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> For all the times you've pushed me. <sighs> you know, and and on top of I'm, it, like I've 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 had conversations with people who are on on the edge that Malcolm was at and you know, I've had him in the moment and I've had him after the moment and hope I've said the right thing, but you never know. Yeah, you certainly don't. Not, not. I don't. I don't even think a trained professional knows because it's no, just how no. how the the mind works. Yeah, I would imagine most cases are different, so it's really hard to know what the right way to handle it is if you're not in the person's fucking head. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mark is after class. He's walking. We see him leave school pro- property, and Nora's watching from a distance. So, so now she's the one leering. Um, she tails him as he walks off of the off campus and he's heading towards an off-brand UPS store like <laughs> Mail USA or something like, like that. Mailbox is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh he's there to pick up Harry's mail from the PO box. He's kind of doing it like he's got the sunglasses on and shit, but he's not trying that hard to he's it's, not really covering yeah, his it's, tracks. It's pretty half-assed of, you know, being incognito. The thing that's funny too, like if you think like okay, he's got these fans. Let's say he's got 150 fans probably out there if he's getting letters like he's getting you got to imagine that they all live in the same fucking city it's not like they're driving across country to go stock a a mailbox etc like they live in that fucking place they could get a burrito and just you know drive five minutes away from the house and wait in that parking lot just to see there's going to be literally one student is going to walk in there and go to a, a P.O. box. Yeah. Well, take no effort to figure out who this guy is. Yeah. Again, we're saying this is from an adult perspective. I'll tell you right now, if you asked me in 1990 where a post office box was at, I would tell you, (laughs) you would have to go to a post office. And, 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 you know, there's, that's obviously not the case, but that's a good point. And I, and I hold myself slightly more aware of, of, bullshit stupid trivia facts like that even at age you know 18 17 so to me a p.o box was probably more esoteric you know and and mysterious than it really is and and you know how how it works in a mundane universe the fact that 
yeah, I mean, it's plausible that this kid went and rented uh, a P.O. box, and it's plausible that other kids didn't put two and two together. So to me... Yeah, no, you're fair. You know, you've turned me around on a lot of these, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Well, Nora, Nora seems to be more scented to find out who who Howard Harry is so she but she also gives an air of she's she's a little bit more of a sophisticated thinker than a lot of the yeah. kids who are you know bouncing around you know the, the the scenes right now that's why I don't feel bad loving her because she's much more mature for her age than the rest of them so <laughs> it's less dirty that I'm t- totally into this fucking high school girl slime I'm a slime, yeah. A uh, little bonus fact for you here. The uh, chiropractor's office that's right next door to the Postal Center USA where his P.O. box is, is uh, was still there as recently as 2018. And you can see it on Google Street View if you look it up. Oh, very nice. That strip mall looks the fucking same, too. It's bizarre. Like, when I looked at it, I was like, property. holy shit. I had the side-by-side up on my screen. I'm like, that's the same. Nice. They look the same. It's not. There's not a, a fucking off-brand UPS store there anymore, though. It's not like the... Uh the clerk's convenience store or anything no yeah. still there and shit yeah no so he's reading a letter from the eat me beat me lady as he exits the packaging store and we hear nora reading the letter in voiceover and then see her hiding behind a column as mark walks out of the store she then ambushes him and demands an audience proving that she's the eat me beat me lady by reciting some of the poetry we just heard like you know some highlights if you will yeah she snatches the letter from him and then reads literally what's in the letter yeah and i think it's funny that when she without you know she snatches it close yeah when i when she says i'm i'm the eat me beat me lady and he goes yeah right the fact that he's like doesn't believe her is so fucking funny to me and it made me think do you think he thought that the eat me beat me lady might have been Paige? like he had a fantasy working in his head you know i don't know i didn't go that far you know, when I look at it from a surface level, it, it just could be the fact that he's he's living in this this disbelief that the people that he's talking to on the radio aren't real people. Yeah, that's where I looked at. Well, it. I'll tell you what, Nora's next line to him further fucking cements her place in my heart. She says, "Hey, relax. I'm not really like that, except when I am." And I was like, oh, my God, she's the best. I had to pause a couple times during this movie just to, like, turn to Tammy and say, she's the fucking best. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Samantha Mathis back back in the day. Well, again, I I would keep talking about Christian Slater living this part. She was very believable as that girl. You know, she's she's believable enough to where you can identify her character with with real people and none of it seems a stretch to me yeah i mean we'll get into it later but i think that her and and him save this movie like without them being as good as they are i don't know that this is still watchable or nearly as watchable i mean the writing the writing is there in in that halfway sense but without the right person to deliver it it probably would have fallen a lot flatter so Nora tries to tell Mark that the suicide wasn't his fault, but she's uh, as she's talking, he literally takes off running, uh, running, not walking quickly. He's running away. <laughs> and as he's running away, I'm like, did he fucking run away? <laughs> uh, she does not chase him. He might have done the Napoleon dynamite yeah, run. Yeah, with the fucking straight arms. Yeah, no, but it's pretty weird, though. He definitely just runs off in the distance. He basically runs behind the fucking uh, strip mall. 
Uh, we cut then to, to Mark having dinner with his parents, and after mentioning the suicide, they ask him if he thinks seeing a shrink would help because he seems so sad and lonely. And, uh, yeah, this leads to Mark storming off. Basically, his parents pushed him a little too far. But when he says, I can't talk to you people, I'm certainly not going to talk to a shrink, the way that he says you people to his parents so fucking reminded me of me when I was that age. Well, yeah, and, and, and I can see that too, knowing you as long as I have. But he definitely has got a, a level of disassociation with his own parents yeah, at this point. It was so. very familiar to me. Um not in a good way, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I can see it being familiar in a realistic way, but not evoking any warm fuzzies. <laughs> yes, that's. I was definitely like, yep, have that con- had that conversation multiple times when I was thirteen through sixteen. <laughs> yeah, you might have swore more though. Maybe put a hole in the in the wall. <laughs> Torn a balloon ball at it. <laughs> <laughs> Stop telling my secrets, man. <laughs> I had an interesting childhood uh, so yeah Mark retreats to his basement lair where he watches a news, uh, a news story about Malcolm's suicide we then cut to Shep Shepard reporting live from the mortuary where I assume that Malcolm's wake is taking place oh, man I don't know but Shep Shepard what a name <laughs> our buddy Shep mentions that the town is preparing for another broadcast from Harry since it's closing in on 10pm which begs the question isn't 10pm a little late for a fucking wake I, I, there's people walking into that place behind yeah, him. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's I, absolutely. I, I would kind of I mean, believe it if they were walking, like a couple of stragglers were walking out or something, but it looked like multiple people walking into the place at that point. <laughs> well, later on when we see that everyone's excited about the PTA meeting, you know, and the school board <laughs> sure. meeting, it's also, you know, at, at right the, before uh, you know, 10 o'clock yeah. taking place at nine fifty-five. <laughs> you know, exactly. Also not, not exactly the right time frame for those meetings. Yeah, no, it was an emergency meeting. The only time things happen at night is at <laughs> nine fifty-five, And that's right. That's the adult world though. The, the kids are, you know, 24 seven, the adult world takes place after exactly. school. Fucking weird. Uh, Mark puts on Leonard Cohen's, uh, what was it? If it be your will, is that the name of that song? Yeah. Which, I personally so. prefer. <laughs> like, if I heard that, I'd be like, okay, this isn't bad. Do, 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 I guess do, it's do, just association to me. <laughs> doesn't have the fucking bass line. <laughs> dun, 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 but then he quickly, dun, yeah, then he dun. quickly switches back to Everybody Knows uh, when he starts his broadcast. And while bitching about the turn his life has taken and, uh, you know, he lets an- another detail slip that his dad gave him the shortwave radio so he could talk to his friends back east. And I'm wondering if it's reasonable at all to use a shortwave radio to talk to New York from Arizona. I don't know um, anything about shortwave, but I don't know about talking. I know, for example, shortwave radio. You could you could literally pick up broadcasts from Europe oh, okay. um, on the continental U.S. with a shortwave radio. I don't know if you have. Like, I don't know what kind of transmitter would have to be involved um, to actually communicate back and forth, though. For example, you know, a little, a little handheld, you know, shortwave radio is enough to pick up, you know, something over in uh, Berlin, okay. you know, radio station broadcasting nice. in Berlin. So it's, right. it's plausible. It's legit. I just don't know if the idea of talking back and forth with your buddies yeah. is. Well, so he says he never meant to hurt anyone and he apologizes to Malcolm for not saying don't do it. Uh, and then he announces that he's done with hard Harry and he shuts the radio off. We see a bunch of cuts of his listeners being upset about it, but Mark quickly rethinks the decision and restarts the show. 
he basically does a monologue about it making sense that someone will want to kill themselves when being a teenager is the alternative, which, you know, a little melodramatic, but yeah, it's super yeah. angsty. Um, but at the same time, like the, the, the part I think that struck me a little bit more was the visual of how, how hurt the other kids were when he, when he yeah. clicks off, you know, they, they're, they're legitimately emotionally wounded when, when they feel that sense of abandonment that he's, he's got them so enraptured with the sound of his voice at yeah. this point. So it's, it's, it's a strong moment for that. And then it leads into, you know, talking about how he, he fucked up. He should have, he should have said and done something yeah. differently. Well, it's during this speech that we see that Miss Emerson is now one of his listeners as well. Yeah, with her glass of wine. Yeah, she got a glass of wine in the radio. <laughs> hard Harry listening to a jerk it's, it's, off. It's definitely, it's definitely um, <laughs> fit my my stereotype of teachers uh, from that point forward. That they're all correcting homework with a glass of wine now. <laughs> probably, probably it's a lot of them. Well, I mean, here I I know I know the reality of it to an extent. So that's funny. <laughs> um, one of the things that he mentions during his address is that nobody ever talks about the fact that when you die you shit your pants so it's a very unromantic way to go and it's something that I've been commenting on for years when I see someone die in a movie or TV and like just you know that that person just shit their pants but nobody, nobody's reacting at all to it. like if you know forgive me for talking about suicide again but like in the scene where you're like find someone hanging and then they always like grab them around the waist and like put their face right at like waist level, trying to pull them down. And I'm like, that person just shit their pants. There's no damn. Oh, whoa. Exactly. Oh, exactly. oh, there's a, I, I don't know. You're familiar with Michael Conley, the writer who writes the the yeah. Bosch books and the Holler books. Um, he will, he will comment on this occasionally, like as part of a crime scene, which mm-hmm. is part of why I like him. He's, he doesn't fuck around. Uh, it's, it's associated with the smell of death, but yeah, know. but not in movies or TV shows. Well, it's the same thing though. There's a lot of a lot of things where you just kind of like flash past them. You know how yeah. many times, aside from when dialogue takes place in a bathroom, how many times you see a bathroom <laughs> featured in a film? How much how much time do you sp- see spent on on the the mundane little necessities of of life? I don't, I don't know, but I need more much. shit talk, man. I need more realism <laughs> in my in my movies and TV and shit. Um, <laughs> So Harry's speech here inspires his listeners, specifically Paige, who takes a bunch of her shit and puts it in the microwave and watches it explode. Yeah, this is as he's incited them to to do something crazy, basically. Yeah. Like- to, and, and I think, I don't know how much he was saying to rebel or, you know, just express yourself. And it, it's shown in multiple ways in the reaction shots of people expressing themselves somehow differently. Paige expressed herself with uh, great, great violence. So shooting pearls. It's a classic scene: putting the shit in the fucking microwave and putting her jewelry and her trophies and her fucking Yale <laughs> pennant off the wall. I don't want to say it quite exploded. It, 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 it you know, I guess it's an explosion. And popped. <laughs> it's an explosion, but it's not like it didn't like destroy the kitchen. You know what I mean? Right. It just fucked up the microwave and like launched some shrapnel out into the room, which you know we'll see the. Uh, the result of that later in the movie here. But uh, in one of the scenes in this montage where people are going crazy, there's inexplicably an enormous penis being carried by a bunch of Harry's listeners. And I don't really know how to explain what, what it looked like. I mean, it's, it doesn't look heavy, but it also doesn't look inflated. 
It doesn't. I mean, it looks. It's like made out of foam rubber, or made out. To of like, me, the way it looked like was if you remember going to, um, like a fast food drive up, and they would have a character molded around their 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 speaker box or something like that. It looked like look like something Mayor, Mayor McCheese. You know, in that it looked kind of like fashion that in that way. It's not paper mache. It wasn't plaster of Paris. Yeah. It wasn't, but it was. It was kind of like a, a weird sort of enough three dimensional strength to it to to withstand you know being carried around by students and thrown on a roof. I mean, it was like you know seven feet fucking long. It's a the big cock. I, I don't right. It just where doesn't did they get this thing. It just doesn't have any place in in, in real world suburban Arizona. <laughs> it's like, yeah, where you would know? you get that? They didn't like pull, just... pull it off of a fucking some already existing structure, right? Dude, unless unless Paradise Hills has like a really booming boys town, I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. It was weird, right? I saw so... that dick, and I was like, I paused it. I was like, where'd they get that dick from? <laughs> Yeah, they definitely they definitely made the prop uh, company work on that. <laughs> I feel like it project. had to be something that was already there. They like saw it. They're like, "Oh shit, have them carry that." But where would that <laughs> right. come from? You're right, though. There's no there's no reasonable expe- explanation as to why this is this is just rolling around <laughs> suburban Arizona. It's fucking weird. Uh, but never mind all that because it's time for Harry to read another listener letter. This one's gonna get Harry, dude. No pun intended. This particular listener tells a story that first seems pretty straightforward. He's gay, and he's hanging out with a guy he likes that is not openly gay. They go to the ridge. They take off their shirts. They start fooling around. The openly gay kid tells the other dude how much he likes him, and the the other dude says he knows it. Then the not openly gay dude suggests they take their pants off to get a tan, and the openly gay kid complies while the other dude stalls. Uh, Every detail I'm giving here is like, either said or very clearly implied. So if it sounds weird, it's because it's fucking weird. Next, two of the not openly gay dudes' friends show up, drinking beer and laughing. They took the openly gay kid's clothes and threw him up in a tree, causing him to cry, but they just laughed at him, so he stopped. Before I go on, they laughed, so he stopped crying. Is that a thing? (laughs) Like, where you're crying and then you just choose to stop crying? Like... Can you can you give me some insight onto that since you seem to be answering all yeah, my fucking questions? I mean, okay, from I can I can I get it when a, like a, little kids do it because they're yeah. Faking I was going to say that's where I'm going. Well, okay, so my son is a little kid. He'll he'll cry about something, and then I'll I'll start almost mocking him. Yeah, and and teasing him or like saying something funny to get him to stop crying, and and it'll work. You know, because now he's now he's realizing that you know he's his crying is just stupid. Maybe this kid felt stupid in the moment, and obviously was gonna. This was his attempt to like, you know, like salvage his situation. I'm gonna stop crying because obviously that's the reaction they're looking for. So it might have been a level of self awareness, maybe. But it's but I mean, his crying might have been initial shock and fear and yeah. since you know it didn't i mean it didn't stop happening but it also didn't he he goes on to talk about it and it's not like it sounds it sounds demeaning and and horrible it doesn't sound violent so maybe he's able to retain a sense of calm after that 
Well, that's so that's the thing, right? So Harry asks him what he did next, and the kid says everything, everything they told me. He says he 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 feels bad that it that he didn't do or say anything, which I assume he meant like to defend himself, right? Right, but for sure, we don't really know what everything they told me means. So um, I mean, I pictured, you know, telling him to do demeaning acts. You know, why don't you? grab your grab your cock why don't you why don't you turn around and like you know spin in a circle why don't you get down on all fours something like that you know that's what i imagined you know they were trying to find juvenile ways to demean the kid i didn't look at it as any i didn't look at it as (laughs) and then they told him to do anything and everything as in like here come over here and suck me off that's That's not how i pictured it what i thought and I'm sure of that because, again, I know you, but <laughs> I, that's not where my head went. My head went you're like, so much more. Me, uh, you're like the, you're the driven snow, Dan. It's well, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. It's um. I'm like, did far, these guys have an orgy? Was this like a force? No, or? that's not how I went with it at all. And and you know, again, that's my take on it. But my take on it. It made me feel that this was a realistic scenario. Made me feel like this is something I'm sure happened in in the suburbs I grew up in. Made me feel like this is something that probably happened to somebody I could have you know been friends with. It there was that level at this time. You know, again, we're gonna we're gonna say this is 1989, 1990. During this time in in suburban white America. When it came down to it, there was, you know, there was a lot, a lot of bullying when it came to this. And, and a lot of times, and, and, and it still exists, but like when somebody's in denial, they also will lash out in a, an abusive fashion to somebody else that is not in denial and, and emotionally abuse that person because they they don't like what they see inside of themselves so this seemed realistic to me that a bunch of high schoolers would or at least let's let's say the main the main bully would then call his friends out of the woods to join in harassing so that he can deny further it didn't seem to me that he called his friends in so they can do a spit roast on this kid you know (laughs) i mean i guess Everything you're saying makes perfect sense, and I don't disagree with any of it. I just don't feel like that's the story I heard. <laughs> it just seemed like, I don't know, there was something missing there for me. I, I felt I like I was confused. Some, you were left wanting. If I was if I was Harry, I would have additional questions, is, is what i Well, of course, of course. But again, the scene is you know, a, a breath compared to what we're dissecting it as. So it, it was a short scene, and the, they <laughs> needed to move the film forward. You I know? suppose you're right. Well... For some reason, this this kid is like aiming some hostility at Harry in this next section here, which you've explained earlier where the hostility would come from. I, do you agree that this was earned? Yeah. Okay. Because all right, so I go back to my moment in which he goes off the air abruptly, and they're so disenchanted, they're so disillusioned, they're so emotionally hurt by him turning off his signal. When they're reaching, these are kids reaching out to to this voice out there. They don't like. I mean, they probably have an inkling, you know, that this kid is that it's another kid like them. But it's clearly in their minds also somebody who 
should know more than them. That he's on the radio at this point. You just didn't. It just didn't happen. You just didn't go on the radio and talk about you know masturbating and and you know like hating your parents and so on you didn't that didn't happen so they're looking at this guy as he should fucking have the answers that they're looking for yeah. and when he's not giving them you know when he doesn't have that simple solution they're they're upset they're wounded they're angry at their situation and now they're angry the fact that Hear, hear the the voice of you know the, their salvation out in in the wilderness of the air isn't able to solve their problem. That could make somebody angry. God damn it! You did it again. <laughs> I'm right back in it. I'm right back on the side of this movie. All right. Well, during that uh during that story, which I found bizarre, but you know apparently it makes more sense than I thought it did. <laughs> Uh, we cut the scenes of people calling the police about his show and, and the police making calls to the FCC and because I guess it's being broadcast across state lines. And I, this might be the scene with the fucking um, this is the it scene is. with the with the black detective having a yeah. line, which, you know, bravo for them giving that that black gentleman a, a line in their movie. <laughs> it's, you know, and, and the fact of the matter of him being like. Well, hey, we you know think about this. We're all kids. You know, he says something along those Weren't lines of like, ones? "Don't you? Yeah. yeah, don't you remember being a kid? Like this is a this is a tough time. Yeah. It's you know he's the only he's the only him. adult aside from maybe Miss Emerson that uh-huh. has any sort of empathy for the for the children around them. We gotta know? get everyone Ms. else is like treats them treats them awfully. We gotta get Miss Emerson and this this cop to like chaperone the prom. Right? Dude, it'd be the great party. What is your take, though? Do you really feel that the FCC only became involved? Like, do you feel that that's that's a logistic thing? That because the tape cassettes are being passed across state lines, the FCC is now involved. This isn't like kidnapping where you've taken somebody (laughs) and and kidnapped (laughs) them in Illinois and driven over the Indiana border. Now the FBI is allowed to step in. I just feel that the FCC would have stepped in because of obscenity charges back in 1990. That's what I think. But like they use it like they gotta. It's almost like they have to overexplain themselves. Yeah. That because tape cassettes are somehow like I don't. That doesn't even make sense. That like I don't know. I, I it doesn't make sense to me that 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 would be their that what you fucking crossed the line you here, know, man. You've I, a fucking cassette tape. I took this as that not that the cassette tape crossed. The, state lines but he was broadcasting across state lines like people were listening to this radio show in other states but doesn't necessarily answer the question but no but okay earlier on in the film it it, way earlier on it speaks the fact that he thinks there's only three people out there listening because his radio isn't strong enough to get past there and and they're even driving to the baseball field because quote unquote that's where the signal is the strongest that's where he comes in the clearest you know, yeah, and they're true, even yeah. posturing that, well, he must live around here. So he's not broadcast. His transmitter is clearly not strong enough that they have to drive somewhere to find a clear signal. You know? I don't think he was going to get to New York with that fucking signal. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, And he said it didn't. You know, it admits in the film like this idea fell flat because it, he wasn't able to reach his friends. Maybe his friends couldn't reach him. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is this kid's got a radio. He's able to transmit. But at the same time, 
He's he's definitely doesn't got a fucking tower out there that's like right. able to you know <laughs> hit everything you know. Yeah. And on top of it, he's broadcasting on an FM wavelength, which has greater fidelity but much shorter range. And AM an AM band will take you over state lines if if necessary, whereas an FM band is going to crash out when you're. I mean. If you're in Chicago and you're listening to an FM station, you're going to lose that. You know, by the time you you, you hit Indiana, you're going to lose that. By the time you get, you know, you, you you can't pick up, you can't pick up a Chicago FM station down the Champaign Urbana. You can't pick it up, you know, like in, you know, Decatur, Illinois. It it doesn't work. An AM, yeah. you could. Yeah. Well, you know more about that than I do. I'll believe you, but I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily believable that the FCC would give a fuck about this. Honestly, no, they, they they would have stepped in for for the obscenity potential, and they would have stepped in. But you know, somebody else would have raised heightened that based upon their accusation that he caused Malcolm. He solicited his his suicide. Yeah. Um. So Harry ends the show by playing some Pixies. And I don't know if we've ever talked about the Pixies, but the Pixies are another one of these where, you know, they're fucking well-regarded and everybody likes them. And I just, I don't get it. Like, other than like I, one or two songs. To me, it's, it. it's more like four or five songs. Yeah. Um, and, and Wave of Mutilation is both versions <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoy. Okay. So that, that's, that's maybe we'll call that number three and number four on my sure. chart. Um, mm-hmm. and, and initially my my exposure to wave of mutilation actually came through this film so that when i did get the actual album it it was hard for me to unhear the slow version right right and over time both versions you know became became dear to me but um now i can equal, i can listen to them equally but it right. yeah for sure, yeah. that that wave of mutilation, I I dig it, and in the fact that they took that song and slowed it down for this, fit it much better. You wouldn't have if you put the original in, it wouldn't have had the same effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. They're not a band I dislike. They just never drew me. I think I bought an album and I was like, yeah, that's good. I don't need any more. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> got their moments, but you don't. You, you don't like. Where's my mind? I like it, but it's it's better in a in a fucking movie on a soundtrack than it is listening to it at home just on my yeah, own. It's, it's so repetitive. It's, it, it is a well, it is a great Fight Club moment. So yeah, yeah, that's it's better in a Fight Club than it is on my stereo when I'm not watching Fight Club. <laughs> is where I would go with that. Uh, but yeah, the Pixies carry us over to a montage of Mark walking to school, and on his way, he sees a newspaper on along that, that the front page says "Teen Radio Pirate Ups Attacks," which made me laugh. It's like what. What attacks are they talking about? Right. Like, okay. Well, he's the only attacks he's making is on the school administration. Right. Right. What's egregious? That would be a front page headline. Right. I guess if that newspaper only caters to that town, then uh, maybe small suburban Arizona. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. By way of Santa Clarita, California. <laughs> so back at the high school, Nora and, and Janie talk about the new suicide hotline the school has set up. Uh, in response to Malcolm's untimely demise, which is, you know, cringy. Yeah. As cringy as it should be, or it's exactly what it would be if it was real. (laughs) Like, (laughs) way to make something fucking stupid where nobody would want to call it. 
and 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 not only that though they they hit the nail on the head when they're like oh it's you know what is this hours eight to three thirty you know it's oh it's it's eight thirty it's okay to kill myself oh it's four o'clock I I can't do it <laughs> I guess I'm fucked exactly that was another moment where I liked the friend where I liked oh, uh, it was good right Jane. they were they were good as as the uh, the cynical girls full sure. on they would get along with Clea Duvall's character and can't hardly wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allergic. Uh huh. Allergic. allergic to dancing. Uh, right away. Also, speaking Guess I'm of fucked. How fantastic they are! One of my f- favorite moments of the film. Mark is walking past them, and Nora basically runs right up to him and says hi in his face, and then like runs right back to Janie, who jokingly calls Nora a tramp, and then Nora responds with "bitch." Tramp. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> gives her a little shoulder shove. Uh-huh. It's so good. It's so perfect. How yeah. fucking Samantha Mathis is the best. <laughs> uh, so then we get Murdoch and Crestwood threatening a kid, the kid that uh, was selling Harry cassettes, which is that kid's Do- is it Donald? Is that his name? Donald, yeah. Um, basically trying to get Harry's identity. They think somebody knows, and uh, yeah, there's clearly extortion involved. Yeah, and then there's more graffiti, which uh, apparently said Crestwood's a maggot puswad, which is a very retro <laughs> insult. It's not something anybody would say now. Yeah. But it sounds very of the time. Um, it's also at this point that we found out that Seth Green's character's name is actually Joey because he plugs a <laughs> boombox directly into the PA and plays a kind of remix of Deaver's Call with Harry, which is uh, with like a little drum beat under it. Very creative. I, you know, it is, but it also speaks to the fact that like, all right, if there's a kid able to pull this off with that, you know, at that time frame, you know. Clearly, this kid knows a little bit about you know technology and 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 sound reinforcement. Don't you think that they would have had a little bit more insight on Harry than with his radio? <laughs> yeah, probably. There you go. Fucking Joey. I wonder if Joey's the one who made that who made that remix. I wonder if he's got like a fucking <laughs> whole studio set up in his basement too. And then they uh, during during this time they they awkwardly teach each other how to high five. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty fucking cringy. Took two tries. <laughs> oh boy yeah so that seemed like maybe they're running out of film there's like just that last one was good enough let's let's move on for the let's, day that's enough we get a little short scene of crestwood threatening to arrest maz for trespassing and it's just all kinds of mustache twirly like these fucking adults are so thinly drawn well this is the point in which i think it's it's clearly defined now worse than before it was like is, is this kid a student or not? It's clearly to find now that he was expelled because he he tells her, "I was don't you remember you expelled me?" Yeah, you know, for, for dress for, code, right? For dress code, you know. So yeah. so now you're you're not only you find out that for sure he's expelled. You find out that she's she's basically power mad and and that she's now kicking kids out of school for for trivial bullshit. Which again, it's it's this woman is obviously crossing the lines, building up the cases. Is she's a villain? Yeah, she's like I said, she's like a legitimate villain. Yeah, she's not just a shithead. She's actually criminally doing some bullshit. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, she shouldn't be in charge of 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 a school of of children. No, no, she should not. Uh, Nora pulls Mark into a random empty class to tell him uh, about Harry inspiring Paige to burn up all her shit in a microwave, and this is another great Nora line where she says her dad was unthrilled. <laughs> I like, I like the part about the the pearls going off like bullets, like bullets. Yeah, that's fucking good. Uh, Mark, of course, is is now he's going to pull the plug as Harry. It's just too much. It's like. He's freaking out a little bit. And then there's the announcement of the parent-teacher meeting you're talking about. (laughs) 
The, Amer- the emergency school board meeting with the PTA, yeah. which again, it, it kind of begs the fact of like the PTA. I mean, it's for the advocacy of children. Um, it doesn't seem to fit like to me. <laughs> I wouldn't expect to, to have a PTA involvement in in trying to root out a pirate radio station. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work for me. I mean, are they going to have a fundraiser and, and organize a bake sale to get this done, or <laughs> like how how are they going to do this? Yeah, I don't think that uh, the, the they're guy selling who wrote candy this bars to get the FCC. The <laughs> we need to raise money to get the FCC involved, so <laughs> we're, gonna, we're all going to sell candy bars for two dollars in the hallway. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Mark's walking towards the post office and he sees cops rushing inside. And then we get to see the detective inside compelling the uh, the guy working there to give him the information about who owns that box or who's renting that box. And the name is Charles U. Farley, which uh, with the school's address as the address. And of course, the detective, I guess not, of course, because I was surprised the detective seemed to think Chuck U. Farley was funny. Oh, yeah, he enjoyed that. Another good adult character. Basically, all the detectives in the movie are like are cool, except for the, his demeanor and you know. Well, you you definitely can tell me who rents that box. <laughs> it's sort of this yeah. Level of arrogance I mean, that, that wouldn't fly. That that should go on our no fly list probably because that the guy would be like, uh, yeah, give me a warrant. I'll give you anything you exactly. need. Exactly. <laughs> he, he definitely bent over backwards and and you know offered offered to suck the detective's dick on that one. Yeah, yeah. He was like throwing the, detect- the detective's clothes up in the tree and laughing and then <laughs> no way I'm sorry I'm mixing that up <laughs> the, the, the newscaster getting a little confused uh, so Mark and his parents we got another fucking dinner scene of them sitting around and they, they're they watching the news story about Paige blowing up her kitchen which again I think is funny like the news is always showing just local news it's like yeah. super local like how often Very do you know insular. someone on the news <laughs> it's so insular to the paradise illness yeah um, then they announced that the still anonymous radio operator has been charged with criminal solicita- solicitation in the suicide death of Malcolm. And I'm like, don't you have to have him in custody to charge him? Like, I don't. Right. Do you just charge people that you haven't caught yet? That seems kind of preemptive. It does. Yeah, it does seem kind of a stretch. Usually they're looking for somebody wanted in connection with, you know, said crime or whatever. They don't usually say he's being, you don't charge, you know, uh, ambassador X with something. And until you have somebody to actually charge it, right. you don't even know who the guy is and you it's, can't, you can't how do you press charges. It's out of order. It doesn't make exactly. sense to me. Who are you? Exactly. Pre- you can't press Putting charges. The horse before the cart there. Yeah. For the sure. cart before the horse, whatever, <laughs> whatever, wherever the horse, and the cart go, that's what's going a on. Ten pecker now. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Bigger than baby's arm. <laughs> so uh I'm also like right here I'm like did did Mark's dad forget that he bought him a shortwave radio a while back like it's not even crossing this guy's <sighs> mind that no, there's a connection here and it made me laugh out loud when his dad complains that Harry's knocking the best school in the district like <laughs> that's why he's that's why he thinks this fucking radio guy's a, a hack because he's like this, this school's great exactly He's drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, but then, of course, they have to leave to attend the big meeting that we were talking about, which is also It's his comical. dad's first big meeting. Like, do we really think there's any way Mark would go to this? Like, after everything we've seen thus far with him being like, fuck you, I get good grades, leave me alone. Then exactly. suddenly he's going to, like, Come on and support in, your dad in he, this moment. Exactly. He's going to tuck in his shirt and go fucking sit in the audience. It's not like you know, a, I a guess band only, performance or something. Right, right. I mean, the only, the only, like, I don't know, it's not believable exactly because i don't feel that his 
I don't know, the, his father feels he needs the support of his son there for his right. school board job. <laughs> but it's believable in the fact that I feel that Mark, for as much as he, he says he d- dislikes his parents, he's he's acting out in small ways that aren't directly against them. So I can see him saying, all right, fine, fuck it, I'll go. Taking but, one for the team. Right, as yeah. in like, all right, I'll 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 maintain the status quo or at least I'll I'll harbor peace in this moment by going. But what his dad really asked him to go? Fuck no. Yeah. Well, luckily he's there because uh, his dad needs all the support he can get. There's only like 40 people at that fucking meeting. <laughs> like in the audience, there's like hardly anybody there. <laughs> except, except for the dude that, that works with inner city gangs and he's going to go after him. <laughs> Exactly. All of that fucking <laughs> shit. All the parents in the audience like are are so just again, all the adults They're in this fucking movie. Super one dimensional yep. and and clearly I've you know, the, the the message that's coming across is we're not responsible for any of the problems with our children. Let's blame you know, hard Harry. It's the same argument that always goes down with let's blame video games. Let's blame media. Let's blame the music. There's swearing in music. Let's blame that. Yeah. It's always finding the easy scapegoat for not parenting your kid. And that's, that's what that scene is. Yeah. Well, they're getting the, pa- the pitchforks and the torches out when Paige shows up to give an impassioned, if not strangely worded speech about how <laughs> Harry isn't the problem. And at one point she says, I am not perfect. I've just been going through the motions of being perfect. And inside, I am screaming. Paige, you were a model student. It's so weird. I have rehearsed this speech all night. This was her big moment, and she she really hit it out of the park, let me tell you. But inside, she's screaming. Also, she's wearing a bandage. The bandage you're speaking of definitely looks like she was punched straight and square in the nose. <laughs> she's got the she's got the black the eyes, black eyes you know, yeah. sagging below each eye, and then she's got the the white the white boxer bandage over bridge of her nose. But yeah. then she goes outside, and you know she's surrounded by the media now, trying to get her to make a <laughs> make a statement. Which is funny because that would have been also an equally uh, desirable soapbox for her to make that statement on, is, you know, or right. more effective than the school board meeting slash PTA fundraiser, <laughs> and um, to 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 air her grievance with this and explain that this is this is being perceived the wrong way. But instead, she she growls at them. <laughs> And in, in, in here's here's where it comes back to it definitely sounds like she she dropped by the studio later to re-record her growls because they don't seem in sync and they right. seem so like paper thin in context of the what's happening. It's It was uncomfortable for me to watch from a perspective of it, you just took me out of the moment here. Right. You just took me out of the film yeah, with, that, with that part. Also, I like that one of the fucking reporters keeps yelling, are you on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> the things the reporters are yelling at are all really funny. <laughs> Talk hard. <laughs> yeah. So uh, outside, all the kids are congregating at some kind of athletic field waiting for Harry's show to start. Again, like, why aren't the cops being called on them for trespassing at this yeah, point? Yeah, that's like, the thing, because they're clearly on school grounds, unless this happens to be a park district area, but even then you're not supposed to fucking take your pickup truck with, you know, 18 speakers on, on top of the roll cage. <laughs> Strapped or, on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing some damage to that field. That's all I'm saying. 
Um, <laughs> this is another one of the fucking cringiest moments for me in this movie where Paige runs past Nora and Nora stops Paige to give her like an aggressive double thumbs up and then Paige mm-hmm. responds by like doing like a kind of dance. <laughs> ah, it's just so like, she what does the her fuck? robot. <laughs> 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 it wouldn't have been any less weird had she done the robot. She does the Pepsi wave. <laughs> yeah, I was. I honestly was laughing so hard when, like, I mean, I love Samantha Mathis, but those like those double thumbs, man. I blame the director. I'm gonna blame the director. Page, and then just double thumbs. <laughs> like, all right, we don't actually need dialogue. Everything that needed to be said exactly. is said by those thumbs. Uh, may as well just put the you know, the black power fist up in the air. Exactly, that would have been better. <laughs> just solidarity. <laughs> yep. Um. But yeah, Nora, after you know doing that, leaves to uh, find Mark in his backyard, burning all of Harry's letters on a grill, <laughs> like <laughs> spraying them down with fucking lighter. He's just really casually doing it, you know. Yeah, kind of gleefully. There's no, there's no sense of urgency, really. Yeah. No. Well, he knows his parents are at the fucking meeting, so he's he's solid. Yeah. Um, she tries to talk him into doing the show as usual, and he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want the responsibility. And uh, also, he has a really hard time talking to girls. Just, <laughs> just really not getting better for him. Well, they, you, you glossed over the part where, they, where again, they're, they're trying to make you think think that the, the parents have caught on because he says he's got a lot of homework, and his mother goes... Mark, we we know why you're why you're ready to leave. We know why you want to go. <laughs> right. And he does that look of like I've been busted oh, no. and and they're like you want to go home and listen to that radio DJ fella. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like so he's you got like, me, yeah, mom. Uh-huh, smiles. <laughs> yeah, you got me. Yeah, there's no chance like I, I guess maybe at this point that the parents haven't heard him yet. Like as right. hard Harry. Well, but, they 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 seem to not because when they do return from the meeting they, they turn it on. on to listen to it and yeah like, well so you know mark turns on his radio so he could basically have a surrogate conversation with nora through the radio because he can't talk to her directly but he can talk into the radio and like conjecture i like that device it's good i don't mind it i i just you know? it's, it's what happens <laughs> it, it to me it's kind of reminiscent sometimes of um you know the the musician that can't communicate outside of his his medium and music. You know, right? So he's gonna write some lyrics about the woman he loves because he can't tell her. Maybe that's yeah. why I'm not a successful musician because I don't have any problem <laughs> just saying, "Baby, I love you." <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so then at the same time, Mark's parents get home upstairs, and while he's talking to the radio, Nora disappears off frame. Kind of implies mm-hmm. that she just leaves. He sort of turns around and she's gone, and so he just keeps talking. And then his parents knock on the basement door and, you know, there's a kind of Three's Company-ish moment where he's, like, covering everything up, trying to, like, hold them off. Uh, and they're outside being on the door going, like, we know you're in there. <laughs> Open <laughs> the been out there for door. five minutes. What the hell's going on? Exactly. But, uh, you know, he, le- he leaves them in and it's clear they suspect him of being hairy. But then Nora pops out from, like, behind a couch or something. Yeah. Like, she's just hiding and introduces herself. And so there's a classic, like, oh, he's he actually might be getting laid. We're really happy. He's a normal kid. Uh, everything is forgiven. Never mind. You know, and, and again, kudos to Nora being a cool character and the fact that she pulled that off flawlessly. Yeah, she, she nailed it, just like we know Samantha Mathis would. Um, so, yeah, then Nora leaves out the back door and Mom and Dad leave out the front and... Harry gets back on the radio, and we get another classic Harry show with fart sounds and randomly, randomly shirtless Christian Slater calling Deaver again. 
And then now we see that law enforcement is tracing the call, which some really high tech equipment, <laughs> like a whole soundboard in that fucking wherever they are. Made me laugh. May as well been that. a may as well been like a Simon game, you know? Like, yeah, it's pretty funny. Boop boop boop. So, <laughs> so yeah, for a second they kind of play it like the jig is up, and the cops are on their way to, to pick up Harry, and then you know there's a cut where oh, this is the thing that's weird. There's a cut to Maz where he's like shake Seth Green and he's like don't just sit there man run and I'm like why why do you need to run <laughs> they're not coming <laughs> after you <laughs> no but you, again I think that's him grasping at you know the emotional content of it you know he's he sees this guy as as the guy who can see him you know yeah he, he sees he sees Harry's voice as his you know he, he he talks about earlier in the film like hey I was I was the first person here. I've been listening to him since day one. You know, this is this is the guy that he's connected with. He's connected with this disembodied voice, and it's his thing, man. So do you think that he's like talking to Harry when he says, "Don't just sit there, man, run"? Absolutely, absolutely, okay. he's talking to Harry. It so just seemed to me like he he's, was talking to Seth no, Green. <laughs> no, he's. It's like that moment, like I don't know, with the, the stereotype where where somebody yells at a at a at a movie theater screen, like "Don't go in that room," and they're like, you know, yeah. like. You can't hear they can't hear you, but <laughs> right. you still are are compelled to yell that and and he's he's basically gripping Seth Green because he needs to hold something and and physically manifest how like he feels. <laughs> that's that's where I'm at with that. He's he's yelling to Harry. He's not yelling at, at Joey. But fear not, because it turns out that Harry has hidden the base of a truly old school cordless phone in a neighbor's shed, causing me to wonder how is he charging that handset. <laughs> like now that's that i got a simple answer for that i bet you it's the same thing tammy said to me well think back to those to when you had a cordless phone like you probably had two in the house there's no reason why you couldn't just charge it on the other base there's no reason like it doesn't have to the 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 wine that's connected to it has nothing to do with that base it's just charging a battery. That was my answer after I thought harder about it. But Tammy's answer initially, which made me laugh, and I was like, nailed it, is that every morning when he walks to school, he drops the phone off on the base, and then after school on his way home, he picks it up, <laughs> takes it See, home charged. To me, that would be a little extra creepy. I love that. That's so funny. <laughs> like him sneaking into that shed at his fucking neighbor's house every day. Right? It just sounds extra creepy. and I, It also, like, the fact that... It shows that that Mark is is smarter than than anyone's given him credit for at this point. Yeah, because they other than up until this moment he's been dropping. Right up until this moment, though, like you you're with you know the audience is with the fact that they think okay he how come nobody's traced his fucking phone and and here you go yeah so he was self aware. Yeah, well, he ends the show. He's about to get rewarded for it because he ends oh, yeah. the show. He goes outside where he finds Nora. She's just always there. She, you know, she leaves, but then she's not really gone. Yeah, she's she's grooving along with her her nice uh, running head uh, headset. <laughs> yeah, on, yeah her, not her, very her walkman. Not very high tech uh, earphones on there. But she tells him that, that uh, he doesn't need to say or do anything he doesn't want to do. And then he tells her that she's different. And then she proves it by joining him for some toplessness. When I w- was sitting in the theater watching this, it was su- I was surprised that it went that way. But it also lended a lot of credence to her character. It, yeah. it, to me, it, 
so it, it wasn't there was no gratuitous nudity like it, it was it was it fit the character it was in there it was subtle enough it you know it it made sense basically even in the sense that cuz i don't know if you sold the scene enough mark has taken his shirt off inside his in in his in his basement he's already taken his shirt off and he's kind of it was almost like a catharsis moment for him. And then he walks outside and he's shirtless when he sees Nora standing out there. And it's almost like it, it, she takes her sweater off as a kind of like, we're, you know, a together moment. It wasn't yeah. just, it Look wasn't just tits. like here I'm going, right. Let's, let's, let's sell sex here. It wasn't, it didn't have that at all. It It, it was, to me, it was it was more of a hyper realistic moment in the film when it came to their their character interplay. Yeah, I guess for me, I just really liked seeing Samantha Mathis's boobs when I was sixteen. <laughs> I'll <laughs> so I'll 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 take a pause here and just reflect back. Um, previously, we had done Can't Hardly Wait, and I had talked about how Jennifer Love Hewitt as the pseudo lead um, female actor in this in that film. I felt that she was plastic and replaceable. Um, This is entirely the opposite case for me here. Samantha Mathis took this role. She, she filled it. She lived it it, on the screen. It clearly comes across in the performance. She fits the character. Nothing about her seems overly contrived. I mean, there's a couple moments here and there, but nothing about it, you know, makes, takes me out of the moment. She, feels like somebody that I've known. She feels like she's, you know, she has that level of familiarity. Um, But beyond that too, even on, you know, as far as, you know, a lead is concerned, she's extremely attractive in that character. She's, she's beautiful on the screen. She conveys an energy and she, she brings, she brings a different spark to, to this film that I don't feel would have been, if if there was a different casting involved in there it i don't think it would have worked for me yeah. and i but i don't i don't i'm not saying it's impossible but i'm saying that it would have it would have hurt the movie for me because she definitely complements this film yeah i agree with everything also nice tits <laughs> It's like you're trying so hard to take me out of there, and I'm just like, nope, nope. We're gonna talk about. Oh, I knew you were stuck in that rut, (laughs) but I also know you're above it too. I I, I mean, our audience doesn't, which is part of the magic. (laughs) Well, hence my, you know, my 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 blurb. Yeah, I appreciate that that endorsement. It was my endorsement from Dan that I'm not as much of a scumbag as I appear. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean you're a scumbag. You're slime, but exactly, okay. I'm slime. You have some redeeming qualities. Thank you. Uh, so they finally kiss, but it's ruined by a police siren. And uh, yeah, the the police, I guess, are dropping off his neighbors with the with the phone. <laughs> yeah, you know, after realizing that they're not hard hairy. It was that. I mean, even that part was funny though. Like knowing that he's he's definitely pulled a fast one, and he's just involved some random people, yeah. like down the street somewhere. But the the uh, the only unrealistic aspect of that is when the police find it, and and again, this will go, this will hit the no fly list. But well, it's a cordless phone. He could be within a thousand yards of here. Like when the fuck knock on did, doors. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when? The, well, not just that though, but a thousand yards. When? When did you ever have a cordless phone <laughs> that you could go more than fifty feet away from and not pick up static or like yeah. you know other interference? Like especially in nineteen ninety. Exactly. You go if you went from one one floor of your house to another, you were already losing half your signal. That's why you had those bases. So yeah. Yeah. That's bullshit. Then. That's a thousand yards, any direction. Fuck you. <laughs> you don't know your shit. GE's technology, dude. Go go back and get the detective that knew what was happening. Exactly. Let's get that guy who knows who knows how how it was when you were young. Exactly. Um, might, know, might know a little bit about phones. Did you think it was weird how quickly Nora leaves after that kiss and after the cops? Um, is this where she starts grasping at his pants afterwards? Kind of, but like, yeah, she I guess. kind of I mean, fumbles she, around, she and he kind of has over. a weird. Yeah, she he, she kind of fumbles at his belt a little bit, and and um, he definitely kind of does a whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And I think that threw her. Yeah. So, so I mean, again, it it was like she's like, I don't know. I think, I think again because we're looking at Mark and Harry as almost two different personalities. She saw the Mark personality come out real quick when she thought she was dealing with Harry. Yeah, so I think that threw her, and I think yeah. she she hopped hopped the next train, yeah, out of town. Dude, you're my pump up the volume whisperer. <laughs> I just I need you on my side when I'm watching this shit. <laughs> Walk me through it. Hold my hand and make me feel make me feel safe. There we go. Um. So yeah, the next day at school, it's a little awkward, but like in a fun way, and then. They end up kissing in the quad, and you know we think for a second everything's going to be cool, like they're good. And then we see more new v- graffiti, and Mark kind of has a freak out session. And then they argue about like his responsibility to his listeners, and you know, like the bitch that he is, he fucking bounces. Do you feel? Do you feel at this point that he does have a responsibility to his his you know voice being out there to the people? <sighs> no, not really. I mean, I I think that a case could be made, but I don't. I think if he just wanted to stop, if he was like, "I'm this isn't what I what I'm doing. This is what I want to do anymore. I don't feel comfortable with this role." Like for instance, if you have a, like an artist, like a musician or a band that you really like that you know touches your heart, and they decide they don't want to make any more albums, it's not their responsibility to keep making fucking albums. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of draw a little bit to the to the thought process of athletes as role models. You know, and it's like these are you know everyone, every, a lot of not everyone, a lot of people hold hold uh, a higher standard to you know like oh LeBron James like yeah well he's got all these people out here watching him you know he, he shouldn't be acting this way he's a basketball player yeah he's his job is to play basketball he's not trying he shouldn't be the one who's out there raising your kids if the basketball player you like is a is, is i'm not saying lebron james is but if <laughs> if the basketball player that you think is the greatest guy ever at the game is a horrible horrible person which a lot of times is the case yeah it's it doesn't take away from the fact that they're fucking good at basketball so it, i don't feel yeah. that there is a moral responsibility when it comes to that level but i felt it was a little bit more appropriate in the fact that here he is speaking to his classmates at a at a at a high school it's a lot more of an intimate relationship that's been fostered it's not so i don't know if responsibility to his listeners is that 
you know, it, it should be that stringent. But I feel that he's definitely going to leave people hanging otherwise. I mean, yeah, for sure. That's a, that's potentially an outcome. But again, I don't. It's not really up to him to fix them. Right. Like I don't know. I personally, I don't think he needs to. If he if he wants to stop, he can stop. I don't feel like he needs to like finish it. <laughs> you know? It's like I want. It's like I want us to talk about how. <laughs> is it Donald Trump's uh, responsibility? <laughs> To yeah. save everyone from the deep state and eating babies. I mean, <laughs> like, is that, you know, are we calling on him that he needs to come out, come yeah. out from, from his resort in Florida and, and start, save the world or. <laughs> yeah. 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 I prefer Mark to Donald Trump. <laughs> Let's bring happy Harry. <laughs> there we go. Too many H's in this fucking movie. Yeah. So. Minutes later, we see Murdoch collecting students again. This time, it's Nora and like her little crew of misfits. And then we overhear Principal Crestwood saying she ordered psych evaluations for a couple of key troublemakers, which, of course, I found fucking ridiculous. Like, yeah, and who's doing them, Deaver? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> like, She's paying for it out of her own pocket. Right. <laughs> it's that important to her. Uh, well, she's using that money of keeping those expelled kids on the uh, roster for that, yeah, that government money. Exactly. That's what. She, that's how she's paying for all these psyche vows. Uh, then we cut back in back outside. We see Murdoch getting into it with some students, which uh, includes an altercation with Maz. And uh, Murdoch punches him in the face, and then it's followed by the most hilariously weak punch to Maz's stomach that even the foley artist couldn't take seriously. <laughs> it was like almost seemed like an improv move. Like the actor's yeah. like, "Ooh, I'm gonna throw a fucking stomach shot." And they're like, ah, fuck, I guess we got to add a little Foley noise for that. But <laughs> Did they order that? Should we put that in there? <laughs> it made fucking Tammy laugh out loud sitting next to me. She's, she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. So so he was coming into the alcove to post up a sign, you know, and he, that was his that was his motivation for being there. And, you know, it's a little cheesy as to what the reveal is when you see him drop his cardboard sign, you know, that I, I, I got a right to an education. But it made his <laughs> – as far as it was cheesy, it still made me feel sympathetic to his character because it made me like, like him a little bit more as not just this dumb guy that just is making a joke out of life. He actually yeah. – he, he, misses, he misses being in this – you know, in in his environment of school, and he's, mean, he's right. He deserves an education. <laughs> he deserves. He's right, though. He deserves an education. There's no reason, and it, and it comes to light. There's absolutely no fucking reason that this guy should shouldn't be in high school unless he willingly dropped out. I mean, where are his parents? Do his parents not give a shit that he was expelled for dress code? Dress code. So, but that and that's when you know I'll get to that. You know, when we get to the end. But yeah, man, where's when the numbers start to come out, like where's where are all of these parents? Yeah. Like they're I know they're busy worrying about, you know, the radio DJ and and, <laughs> and inner city gangs, you know, obviously. Right. Which I guess I didn't know were a huge problem in Arizona, but <laughs> apparently. Maybe in in nineteen ninety they were and then they got cleaned uh, up. I mean there's how many, there's a lot of episodes of cops that take place in Arizona, so <laughs> yeah. who knows, man. It's the weather. <laughs> so uh yeah mark comes back to apologize to the wonderful nora and uh we find out that she's been expelled for a bunch of random shit including a fuck you to crestwood and now it's nora's turn to run away 
So, and this is where Mark questions it when you say that they use suspension and, and expulsion interchangeably. She said, I've been expelled. And he goes, what, what for? And she finally failing drops it on math, the fact that, right. yeah, failing math. And he goes, well, that, that should be maximum a suspension. So clearly there's at least him as the son of the school right. commissioner seems to know the levels of discipline at, at, at a high school level. But yeah, He's a little more savvy than... They are, I, guess. <laughs> I didn't think it took that that intimate knowledge of you know having your dad as as the the fictional school commissioner, right? We also get a line during the scene about the FCC trucks in the background, which are basically just yellow UPS trucks. And uh, <laughs> Mark mentions that they can drive around and triangulate his position. You know, so he's aware. At us. Yeah, again, yeah. aware. We know. We know. We know where we're going. Um. The next scene is a meeting with the principal, select faculty, and Mark's dad, which is the meeting you're talking about where I guess he's <laughs> he's, he's finally going to get to the bottom of this. But uh, <laughs> she tells him not to, she tells him not to come down to the school because it'll just make her more mad. <laughs> right. like, like, okay, how does that work in a professional setting? You're my boss. Don't come down here. You're just going to make me more mad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this is kind of where we get the, the full, even though Mark's dad doesn't really understand the full scope, we know what's going on and she's basically getting rid of bad seeds to make, to boost her scores. You know. Did we already, did Emerson get quote unquote fired at this point? No, not yet. All right. Actually, no, I think she did. Cause I think she steps in when, uh, when, when the she fight says happens goodbye. with Boz. Right. Well, she, she does, but then she also, she, as soon as, Nora and and Mark like have their moment. She comes by him to apologize or not apologize to say goodbye. Emerson does. Yeah, yeah. So that's the she she gets basically the principal threatens to fire her when she's like sticking up for Maz during when he gets punched. Right, because she's then, rocking the boat. Yeah, and then like a scene later when when. Mark and Nora are talking about the expulsion for saying fuck you to Crestwood. That's when Emerson comes up to him after Nora runs away and basically says she just got fired and good luck and don't give up and keep keep kicking ass and <laughs> keep on trucking. Yeah, keep keep on trucking and shit. Um, but don't worry. We, we'll see more of Miss Emerson here in a second. Um, but first, yeah, th- there's there's a really funny part of that meeting with uh, Crestwood and and Mark's dad and the random other people in that room where her dad asked her how she has the highest SAT scores in the state. And she just goes, I stand by my record. <laughs> like, like that doesn't answer the question. She's just going to stand by her record. It's definitely a non-answer. Like bitch, like doesn't this guy have any kind of like, it seems like she doesn't realize that he's in charge or that he has like any kind of her fate. Yeah. It's really weird. Like, I don't know. Maybe she's just delusional. You can't do that. I think I just did. Yeah, stop spoiling the the, the scenes coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We get a quick scene of the newly fired Miss Emerson seemingly stealing some files from a filing cabinet in the administration office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was very covert. (laughs) Very covert. Very. uh, It looks like a one taker to me. Uh, then we see Arthur Watts of the FCC pull up in a fucking limo. Why is this asshole driving a limo? <laughs> Again, that 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 doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That jumped out at me hard. I'm like, this guy's in the a fucking only, limo. So the only the only call out I can give you on that is um, when Harry goes on the air, 
he talks about Walters as as a um, former politician yeah. uh, that's been put in charge of the FCC, and that to me, the only excusable reason for him to be in a limo is to, that was what he was accustomed to in his life. You know, his previous life as yeah. whatever politician. So he's the arrogant, um, you know, guy who's who's above all of this, and he still rides around in a limo. So to me, that's that Good that's the only part that makes sense. A goddamn limo. <laughs> but there's uh, no driver. <laughs> yeah, and then we also because it doesn't drive away when it should. No, it doesn't. It just stays there. I think maybe he's driving it. <laughs> he pulls up in a limo. He's he's the limo driver. He's bone lighting. There's an actually important person passing in the back out, seat the whole time. He's passing out cards for kids for prom. Exactly. Like you need a limo. Here's my card. This <laughs> is fucking startup on the side. Uh, we also see one of the FCC trucks has been tagged with "Stay Hard, Harry," which is funny. Yes, just because "Stay Hard" is uh, you know a euphemism for his dick. <laughs> is it? I think so. I think that's what they're what they're trying to say. It is, is it? All right, you solved the movie for me. And then we get the A team building something cool montage. It's not a full A team montage, but there's some fun music, and we can see Mark like putting some shit kind of together. It's like he's just putting Legos together, kind of though. It's not really doing anything. It's just like, oh, I'm going to stack these two things on top of each other. Yeah, those might work. I mean, he's got a soldering iron in the works. <laughs> there, is a, there is a bit of soldering. We do get the B.A. Baracus soldering something. So, I mean, you know, again, it's it, it's that air of this kid is aware of his electronics. He knows how to use them. He's He's got more than the, the household knowledge. Yeah, he's got more than I do because I don't know any, I don't know what to do with a soldering iron. I, mean, I can solder and I can unsolder. That's about as far as I know what I don't know where to solder something to though. Congratulations. You can solder my my balls to my leg. <laughs> um so at this point at this point it's about 10 p.m. in Paradise Hills and every everybody's congregating at the high school. <laughs> it's going to make it pretty fucking hard to walk. <laughs> it would, yeah. That's why you're doing it. Ha ha ha. It's the fucking jokes on me. I got a li- I got a limp now. <laughs> It's a gangsta walk. There you go. There you go. I'm going to look way cooler after I soldered on my balls to my leg. So uh, everybody's congregating at the high school. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I put a note here just to make sure that I mention the fucking truck with the big-ass speakers strapped, strapped to the top of it. I know we've talked about that, but it's really weird. Uh, I mean, did they did they do this strictly for the for the radio broadcast? It seems I mean, like it, it seems like a lot of investment. It does a really, lot of hard work. There's not a lot to do in this fucking town. It seems he's right about the video yeah. games and getting stupid. There you go. <laughs> um, it's also here that we get that fucking awesome Soundgarden track, Heretic, which mm. I don't even know if it's on one of their albums. It's on like a fucking B side or something. But, yeah, there's a different version of it. Like this isn't the this isn't the. Uh, released version it's an alter it's a alternative take that's a cool fucking song I, I always like that song cool harmonic kind of thing maybe i'll drop it in here just so everybody at home can listen to it <laughs> without having to look it up on spotify just for a second yeah but harry doesn't start right at 10 p.m because he's got to enter Nora's bedroom through a window like a creeper 
Yeah, that relationship built pretty fast over a day and a half. You know, you know what? She's pretty fantastic. I would already have asked her to marry me if I was him. <laughs> um, he says he needs her help, and he has to show her something, which is when we get a great callback from Nora asking him if it's bigger than a baby's arm. Yes. Another fucking moment where I'm like, I love her. She's so good. <laughs> She's well written, too. Yeah. Also, the way that Christian Slater laughs at her joke right there is very uh, endearing to me. Very real yeah yet another uh, moment where I'm like, this, this would guy. be this is to me this is this is a good example of chemistry yeah i agree so you know we go outside and mark has retrofitted his mom's jeep with a portable radio studio and he needs nora to drive around while he goes on the radio as harry um instead of the usual leonard cohen intro we get the concrete blonde version of everybody knows which personally i prefer i'm sure you're not surprised to hear <laughs> You know, I I can see why you like it, but again, to me, it's I, I w- if I would go back and listen to the song, it's going to be the original. Yeah. So then he switches from Concrete Blonde to Was Not Was Hello Dad I'm in Jail, which is the fucking weirdest song ever, probably yeah. right up there with Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard this song in any other context than this movie. No, I haven't either. Yeah. So kudos to him for being really, really deep underground. Yeah, they took uh, some cuts. We get another Harry monologue, and this time it's on the road, and the FCC vans are like chasing their tails, going in circles around in the background, which is kind of fun. It's a little Three Stooges, but yeah, it's definitely Three Stooges. But you with, feel you feel a little bit invigorated though with their their plan. Yeah, driving, driving through the the hills there. Yeah, it's a fun fucking. It's a fun moment. I'm down for it. Um and also, there's some scenes of the kids harassing Arthur Watts in his fucking limo, which, you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. again, shades of other things, but... Yeah, for sure. And um, again, his driver is nowhere to be found because he could have pulled his ass out of there. He's the driver, dude. There's no <laughs> driver. He's the driver. <laughs> I'm concerned about his passenger. <laughs> the, the actual important person back there. Um, it's like a Die Hard. It's like Argyle fucking in the back of his own limo. I think that's what's going on here. Um, we get a really quick little scene here, much quicker than you would expect it to be, uh, where Miss um, Emerson turns over the fucking files she stole to Mark's dad, and then he suspends Crestwood. She's for for her sleuthing. Um, she did some pretty pretty tight work on uh, drawing some conclusions on that. Yeah, she put she put the strings all together. She figured it out real quick. She's smarter than she looks that Miss Emerson. <laughs> it's just the fact that she's able to to say, All right, they were flagged. There was twenty some students expelled in the first <sighs> month of school. They were flagged for psych evaluations based on their SAT scores. I mean it's it's a little it's a it's it's kind of a stretch of a ima- of the imagination to think that she was able to piece that together all within like a two hour span you know of sneaking into the high school that she just was was fired from but I mean, she's obviously she, motivated to get the bitch who who hung her out to dry she does have a bachelor's in creative writing oh, yeah, there you go don't forget that <laughs> um so we get more of Mark and Nora driving and then Mark fucking breaks his vocal harmonizer, which you know oh no my vo- my vocal harmonizer. Uh, and they end up on the ridge above the school where he does like a Revenge of the Nerds style speech to the listeners while he's looking out over this magnificent vista. It's a nice speech. It is. It works. It, it works in the moment. Um, I know you're hung up on the on the 
vocal the, harmonizer. The mo- yeah, the the modulation of his voice and all. Yeah, but I think I think here it's more symbolic of the fact that now he's he feels fully exposed and he's willing he's willing to now step out on that ledge naked, you yeah, know, and, and expose himself. And that's, yeah, that's you're the, not the wrong. final reveal. I I just I need you in my ear. Like, what's the fucking thing in <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that translates? It's a fish of some kind. Uh, I'm talking about. Yeah, it's so long. And thanks for all the. Fi- I, it's eluding me. There's some sort of like a fucking little thing that you they put in their ear in Hitchhiker's Guide that translates. I need mm-hmm. to put you in my ear so you can translate this movie for me. You can you just <laughs> tie all the fucking loose ends up, huh? It's not that complicated. <laughs> I'm not that smart. <laughs> Shut up. Um. But then, you know, as he's making his speech here, the the chopper comes over the hill and Nora races down the hill and uh, basically they drive straight to the fucking straight to the heart of all these fucking people listening to him. So he's like giving his motivational seminar right to the people right from the back of this Jeep. He's kind of standing back there talking to talk to them and he's telling them to like pick up pick a name and keep the air alive. And, you know, he's obviously trying to motivate them to like start their own radio shows or, you know, whatever version of that will make them. It was. And and it was kind of a, a moment of like I I'm not I'm not special you you can do this too like I'm I just did this you can do it also and that's uh, exactly how we got here doing this Dan <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle there we go we're uh, just waiting yeah. for Walters to pull the cord on us Happy Harry Hardon is the great grandfather of podcasting is the point of this whole there's, show. there's a very direct parallel yeah for sure. So, yeah, as you said, Arthur Watts pulls the plug on him while he's you know, in the middle of his speech, although I think he said pretty much everything he needs to say. And then the cops drag Mark and Nora away to the back of a police van. And before they shut the door, Mark gives his uh, fans a nice a nice talk hard before being pulled away. The screen fades to black and we hear uh, a bunch of voices of kids starting their own radio shows, announcing like what they're about and, you know, lots of variety. And again, shades of the beginning of... Uh, can't hardly wait, although much better done here. Correctly done yeah. here, if I would say yeah. so. It made more sense. Yeah. And that was pump up the volume, my friend. We did it. <laughs> Let's review this fucker. Um, IMDb gave this a 7.2 out of 10 uh, compiled. Ron Tomatoes, we got an 81% critic score and an 84 audience score. So better than can't hardly wait on both accounts as far as i can remember i don't know i think we could both just call this out as a sore dick it's like a sore dick you can't beat it yeah for me it's a sore dick it can't be beat um i got a lot of romanticism laced into this from you know just my own personal life it's it's a lot of it is realistic um where a lot of teen teen films are not um, yeah. as far as, as far as it goes, it's, it's kind of an out there premise, but it's, it speaks with a more honest voice. It's not, it's not just, uh, it, there's, it's not shallow, but at the same time, it's, it's also not pretentious despite the fact that some of his monologues could come off that way. Yeah. But the way that Christian Slater de- just handles it and delivers it, it's, it's very well done when it comes to that. Yeah. I agree with all that. I think that. Uh, for its flaws, um, how good Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis are in the roles and the chemistry they have together, all of their interactions, and then his monologue scenes, 
all that's fucking awesome. So I can overlook yeah. the silliness with the fucking adults in the movie and the you know weird ADR stuff and all the things that are kind of make this movie not like a masterpiece. It still holds a real special place in my heart, and rewatching it, it's still there. Yeah, and and I I'm with you on that. It's been a long time since I've seen the film, and it took it took me back. As much as you know, things are outdated. We're not you know listening to cassettes. We're not you know spending the same amount of time with a radio. We're not in high school. All this stuff is is far out of you know it, it, far in my rearview mirror, but. It did bring me back, you know, on a personal note, to to some people, and it made me miss those people. And um, yeah, it's it's even even deeper for me. It's there's like I said, I I listened and watched the the scene with Malcolm um, and and his regret later on, you know, where he's clearly deciding if he should have done something different if he yeah. could have heard something different that it's a scary moment when when you have to reflect back on that and and knowing that me personally I've lost somebody uh, in those terms it it's it's hard to to not think back that did I miss something could I have done something different could I have said something that would have changed the outcome so that part spoke to me and um I guess it wasn't just me as if you know we can talk about this a little bit but Christian Slater you mentioned um you alluded to the fact that he's rather proud of this and considers this probably his favorite role that he ever did actually yeah. which is pretty pretty heavy um considering the guy's done a lot of work he lot also of good stuff too yeah and he and he looks at and one of the reasons why he feels that this film is still has has a, a bit of relevance is the the suicide um note in there and that a lot of films weren't addressing teen suicide or or the you know the feelings behind it at yeah. all up until this film and and I can see that you know I can see that because it it has has a real sense to it um and it and it carries that weight with it so to 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 people out there gone now I'm yeah I miss you I hear that sorry dude Damn it! No, I, I, should, I, mean, I wish I hadn't picked it. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I'm glad you did because I'm I'm glad I watched it again. It's not a bad thing to remember the people that you know. Yeah, were in your life like that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't have any. I don't have that kind of a, a moment with anybody. I haven't been in that situation, but I I know what you're talking about, and I am definitely sympathetic to it in your case. Uh, the double whammy is you know one of those guys was you know the blackjack gum and styled himself in this film and it had a heavy impact on him to the point in which he even emulated some of, you know, the Christian Slater's mannerisms in this film. And even with the glasses and all that stuff from Mark's character, I mean, it's, it, it takes me to that place. So that's crazy. I didn't even realize all that when I picked it, when when I pushed it. So, well, I'm glad we got to talk about it here. Um, on a lighter note, uh, something we didn't do last time that I think we're going to start doing from here out is we have a Letterboxd account. There's a website called Letterboxd, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D. Um, and on Letterboxd, we have a profile 
two seat cinema. If you go there, we're going to keep a list of our, our movies that we do on the show and we're going to keep a ranking. So we'll do uh, the order of the movies is one list. So the order of the episodes, and then we're each going to have our own list of the same movies and we're going to keep them ranked throughout. So as of right now, we only have can't hardly wait on there. So not too exciting. I think we, we both are going to put pump up the volume above. Can't hardly wait. Uh, don't think we need to even talk about it more than that, unless you'd like to. <laughs> no, I mean, just, just as it goes, you, you took teen movie, teen movie and yeah. you hold them together. And in certain respects, you can do an apples to apples and, and hold one higher than the other. Um, yeah, that's, that doesn't take away the fact that it can't, you know, from the, the, the fun that can't hardly wait was, was bringing out, um, the fun is, is a different fun than you get out of pump up the volume and the, the subject material and acting, um, is, is clearly, uh, headier than, than can't hardly wait. Yeah. But if you're looking for a comedy, you know, it's, can't hardly wait. Can't hardly wait's probably going to put you in a better frame of mind than pump up the volume would at, at all times. Yeah, both have their merits, but I think one is clearly the uh, the winner for us for I, sure. You know, it's never going to be an argument of like, is this a better movie? It's just going to be which one do we think is a better movie? <laughs> which one do we prefer? Yeah. Um, it's the only way to do a ranking like this. So yeah, not as much fun right now. But when we get a few movies deep. I think it'll be more entertaining, especially when we start to diverge a little bit. Um, cause I think we inevitably will, especially when, you know, we put good burger on the list and <laughs> it goes straight to the top of your choices. Just, just kidding. Um, no. Yeah. I think it's time to do a little fucking facts real quick here. Let's, we can burn yeah, through me. these fuckers. Hit me a, hit me a fact or two. Yeah. So, uh, during the production, Christian Slater had his driver's license suspended for the second time in two years over DUIs. And the director had to retool the script accordingly. So in the script, Slater doesn't drive, he doesn't have a car, he doesn't have a license, he travels everywhere on foot. And in that final scene, Nora is the one driving. This is all due to Christian Slater not being able to legally drive during the filming. And yeah, uh, she, was, she was a ballsy driver in that. Yeah, she went hard. She drove hard. <laughs> um, second fun fact is the director originally wanted John Cusack for the role of Mark. Uh, but Cusack <sighs> passed, and I like John Cusack, but that's a, a good call that that didn't happen. <laughs> that's fortuitous. Yeah, his his level of cynicism, I don't think, would have been the same. No, I mean, he's great when he's great, but I, yeah, Christian Slater all the way on this one. And I um, I've, I can't think of a time where I would think John Cusack and Angst together. Angst. Have you no. seen, you haven't seen a High Fidelity, right? Did you read it? Right. But you haven't seen the read movie, it, but correct. yeah, we'll we'll do that on this show because I I think he does a version that you could almost see a connection between that okay. character and this character. So I could kind of see it, but I just think Slater has this one. Um, as you mentioned, Slater recently said that of all the movies he's done, Pump of the Volume is the one he'd most like to be remembered for. So yeah, like, that was worth noting. <laughs> That was honestly that kind of kind of surprised the heck surprised out of me. You. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the person who he's talking to had mentioned um, True Romance too. Like, hey, what 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 about True Romance? And he said, yeah, it's a great movie too, a lot of fun, a lot of good things. But yeah, he he called it pump up the volume, which is kind of cool. It is, and 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 also in terms of like where do where does this film fall in people's minds or memories? 
you know does it it doesn't seem to stick out and again we've mentioned that there's no streaming on it right now so it's not like it's been brought back to the forefront this is one of those movies where i think if it was on if they put it on netflix it'd be like in the top 10 like you know when you see those movies like oh this weird fucking movie they just put out on the top 10 at netflix i think this would be one of those where people would fucking watch it it's possible it's unfortunate that it's not available Another one, Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis would actually star in two other films together after this. Uh, Next in 1992's animated film, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, which I fucking saw on a date at Ridge a year before I worked there with you. (laughs) So that's weird. Nice. And then then again in 1996 in Broken Arrow, which I liked despite John Woo. Well, it's one of those films where the hype of... Hype did not equate uh, success. No, but again, I liked them in that as well. So I feel like Christian Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis forever, basically. <laughs> I ship them. I'll, I will. I will definitely say that in my in my memory, they're going to hold a, 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 a cutest couple <laughs> award somewhere out there. Yeah. So. Uh, Another fun one, the director was actually married to an audio engineer who was friends with Leonard Cohen, which is how they got that song in the movie on the cheap. Okay. Yeah, so he you know, has since not been married to her anymore in the, the interviews I read, but at the time of this, his wife knew Leonard Cohen. Uh, the actress that played Cheryl, the student that got expelled for being pregnant, mm-hmm. would go on to have a robust porn career starting in the late 90s. And then restarting again in the late 2000s under, like, the more MILF-style titles. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could tell you her name if you want, but I don't think that that it's that hard to look up. And it's not somebody I recognized (laughs) from porn. It's not not something I thought we were going to end up with. I know. Also, a little fun fact, and this kind of plays back into your... uh, your question about the responsibility of, of athletes to their, to their audience or whatever, mm-hmm. that, that actress was one of the women embroiled in the whole Tiger Woods infidelity thing that happened. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. It comes full circle. Now, if we just find out that Seth Green was like part of that too, <laughs> it all, it all makes sense. <laughs> uh, and, uh, less of a fun fact, but just a, a Samantha Mathis fact. I don't know if you're aware. I think you probably are, but she actually, you know, as I said, she dated Christian Slater around the time of this movie, but she was dating River Phoenix uh, when he died and was with him that night at the Viper Room. And then he ended up replacing him in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. That's weird, right? A little bit weird. Yeah. So. She obviously had a type. I mean, sexy fucking dudes. That's her type. <laughs> she also dated Christian uh, Bale at, at some point in the there past, too. Sexy fucking dudes. She likes fucking, you know what she likes? Good actors. There you go. That's what it is. That's what they all have in common. Yeah. Uh, we will be re- revisiting River Phoenix in a future episode. That's a fact. For sure. And that's all my fucking, that's all my fun facts there. Um, well, like I said, there was um, years, what, 20 some years after the fact, uh, 30 years after the fact, they oh, were the putting musical. together a musical. And um, it was actually set to have a run somewhere, I believe, in Pittsburgh um, at at a university. Uh, April 3rd, I think, was supposed to be opening night of 2020. And uh, 
COVID-19 kicked that to the curb. So that may or may not uh, manifest in the future. But interesting in the fact that it's a pretty deep soundtrack for the film itself. So I'm wondering if they're what they call upon or what they're trying to evoke in the musical itself. If it's just, you know, kind of an homage to some of that, or if it's just, you know, taken from the, the, the film source material on its own. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I'm, I don't, I'm interested in as much as this curiosity, but I don't know that I want to see it, you know? Right. Right. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know how, again, professional level it is or what, what it would come to, but in my mind, I can't, I can't imagine it escaping, you know, the everybody knows track um, somewhere yeah. within that musical musical itself. They'll have uh, James Earl Jones come in and do a rendition. <laughs> uh, more soul, exactly. So uh, let's hit our no fly list here. If you want to, you can go ahead and start if you want. Well, okay. So no fly list, man. There's there's certain things. The level of vandalism, trespassing, just like the fact that people are creeping around this school, obviously they're aware of it. Why wasn't this clamped down or monitored or caught? You know, it just seems, you know, we we point out, you know, you've got Janie with her spray paint can, you you know, (laughs) you've got the Gestapo um, in Murdoch going around and, and rounding up people. You know how at this point I you know it I think there's there's even you know, a, a couple of locker searches that take place in in the film itself. Yeah. It just seems like this would have been somebody would have been busted somewhere along the line, but it never manifests. Agreed. Um, <laughs> so then, so so Mark's dad, he's the school commissioner, right? So this guy's supposedly highly educated. He's in a position of authority. Didn't you know he was painted as kind of like a 60s counterculture guy that's you know turn you know turned around to the 90s sensibilities so even with the counterculture background why this guy can't string together any anything man it's like <laughs> he's he's not able to pick up on the fact that his principal you know with the highest performing school is 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 shady as fuck he's not able to pick up the fact that he bought his son all this radio equipment and there's a pirate <laughs> dj sir that all of a sudden surfaced around the same time they moved there you know and and on and on it goes it's just it, he's living in 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 a in a hot smoke cloud of oblivion or something <laughs> that, that never dissipated it yeah. just seems like this 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 guy and, and and again it's like every parent in this film nobody's taking responsibility for their kids they're all just kind of doing their own thing and and living in oblivion over the whole thing so that's that's stupid <laughs> um so then not you know we're gonna we're gonna talk about the fact that Crestwood, she's she's running this school kind of like a prison warden in in essence. Yeah. But the but the buy in, you know, she's definitely got she's got Murdoch, you know, as as her lap dog. She's got Deaver, you know, towing the line and and doing all her dirty work and stuff. Everybody's buying into this 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 pseudo evil woman who's in charge of a you know education of 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 high school students. And she's a witch and she's bewitched yeah. them. Right, dude. It's just the level, the the buy-in of of the people around her, or also supposedly got you know. You don't just go into teaching for a, for a paycheck. These people, you know, usually have some other motivation about you know making students better, making yeah. you know bringing bringing something to kids' lives. 
I don't think they would have all gone and towed her line. Probably not. <laughs> um, so so Mark's able to get a P.O. box with a fake name. Like, So does the, you don't need credentials to get a P.O. box? I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, you know, they consider mail, you know, the U.S. Postal Service, delivery of mail is, is considered federal. When you look at that sort of thing, I don't believe you can just go out and buy a, a, a P.O. box anonymously seemed kind of kind of a stretch to me right there so yeah i don't know how how gnarly it was in 1989 or 1990 for sure when i got peel boxes in like the early 2000s it was actually kind of difficult to get one yeah i would think that you would need something to register more than just like a you know a signature card with a fake name right so, yeah that's just my thought uh, you're probably right um, I mentioned this earlier, you know, the, the, the shitty cordless phone that he's, that he's <laughs> tapped into a, a metal shed, you know, and, and the cops claiming there's a thousand yard radius on this thing. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> right inside like, the like shed. Quadruple bandwidth, you know, that you're running on this, you know, it's, they, they didn't have phones of that nature in 1990 that, that could, you know, run three and a half football fields away. So. <laughs> Just wasn't wasn't legit. Nah. Um, again, we talked about where the fuck are these other parents? Twenty twenty plus expelled students in in the first month of school, and and no parent goes to the school board. Nobody protests this. No, you know, you talking about Maz? You know, like he, he's expelled for for dress code. Nobody nobody on in his family gives a shit enough to like you know, say that this ain't right. You know, make a phone call to somebody, write a letter. Like, yeah. And even even if even if you know he did write a letter to Crestwood and they just kind of gave up on it. Like that doesn't seem like a parent to just like maybe one out of 20 students, but not all 20 of them. Law of averages says a couple parents are coming <laughs> exactly. out. Exactly. You know, I mean, you know, all 40 parents showed up <laughs> at the, the, the emergency PTA board meeting, uh -huh. you know, talk about, you know, how they're, they're going to go out there and get this guy. You know, I, I feel like, I don't know. Some of these kids, parents are just, obviously asleep yeah and then there's the uh the fact that you know for whatever simplicity's sake there's a total of five five people employed at this school uh not counting lunch ladies so yeah the budget just, for for the school was the same as the budget for this movie yeah it just it just seems like there was you know you've you've got the english teacher you've got the guidance counselor you've got you know the guy who could be the shop teacher could be the gym coach he could he could be the assistant <laughs> principal he could be the dean i don't know Campus who he security. is he might as well be this you know he might as well be the janitor you know he, he was carrying around keys like he was so i mean like you don't have much involved there and that just seemed you know again just for just the sake of simplicity and and not having to you know add any characters to it but yeah yeah, I don't. I again, it it goes back to how Crestwood was able to keep keep her school and and faculty in line. You know, <laughs> there's so few of them; she didn't have to convince that many people. Exactly, it's probably a lot easier to convince three people than it is convinced you know three hundred. But yeah. whatever. So that's my no fly list, buddy. It's a solid. It's a solid list. Uh, mine. We already mentioned Mark's dad not being able to put two and two together with pretty much anything. Um. <laughs> The kids constantly congregating on the school's ba baseball diamond without repercussion was a little little off board for me. The huge unexplained dick sculpture we <laughs> talked about, that's 100% on my list. Like, I wouldn't mind if they'd explain where it came from, but having it just drop in there like a non sequitur was fucking weird to me. 
Well, I just looked it up, and Paradise Hills is like the bachelorette party central of USA, so maybe that's <laughs> it right there. It's got dicks falling from the sky. <laughs> um, Miss Emerson being fired without real cause. I mean, I don't know. if Maybe there's a scene like off camera where they you know, found kitty porn in her, in her <laughs> you know, briefcase or something. I don't know. But it seemed to me like she didn't really do anything to justify a firing that would stick. Uh, no, not at all. The psych evals of the students on the principal's say-so is, is a little far for me. I'm not quite willing to go that far with them. They don't have that level of buy-in from me. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking... You you explain the voice disguiser. I, I, your your explanation is acceptable. I'll take that one off my list. It, it, makes, <laughs> it makes his reveal at the end where he stops using it more poignant. So I am yeah. comfortable uh, unlisting that off my no-fly list. Uh, and then that that actually takes off my next one too about the vocal harmonizer being subtle. The blackjack gum tastes like dirty asshole, dude. I'm sorry. I, I know I chewed it. It it felt cool to chew it. It's a fucking cool looking package. You know, it's cool uh, to have it. It's a nice image. It's it kind of you know would fall into like a hipster type of thing nowadays. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, it's black licorice flavored gum, which. Black licorice is like not great, but imagine if it just never left your mouth. Well, that that being said, too, I I like black licorice. I like that flavor, and I and it's blackjack gum. It's it's kind of like juicy fruit, man. It just doesn't last, and when it goes, it's gone, and it's yeah. just it's painful to continue. <laughs> so blackjack, you know, had about has about the similar staying power as juicy fruit or some <laughs> some other stick gums of that that yeah. nature. So. For it what is cool it's looking worth, though. I like that it's it like is, fucking dark blue, you know. Yeah, it's it, it's it's more symbolic, and I and I see why they used it as a prop in this film, and yeah. I see why people glommed onto it because the imagery is cool. Yeah, I agree, but it tastes like ass. <laughs> um, and then my last one was that Samantha Mathis is not a bigger star, and I don't know huh? if that's you know due to just bad luck or due to her not wanting to take certain roles or what, but she is fantastic. You know, it's I again. I I did my little spiel on her. Um, you're right. I I it could be a multitude of things where the stars just didn't align. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like like Elizabeth Banks, it, kind of in the last ten years, is sort of what I think Samantha Mathis should have achieved in the previous ten years. Yeah, I mean. Maybe not with the same comedy chops. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's it. I mean, I like I like Elizabeth Banks. I'm not saying anything bad about her, but you know, her level of success seems like a reasonable level to accept. Yeah. For Samantha. If Samantha Mathis was at that level, I would have been like, okay, nailed it. Yeah, I I, I agree with your parallel. Yeah, cool. That's it, man. We're gonna we're gonna run out of here, and uh, but before we do, you know, what we're doing next time. We're doing the Lost Boys. Yep, the Lost Boys. We're going to talk about fucking vampires and and rice <laughs> and saxophones and oh man, fucking molestation probably if Corey Feldman's involved. <laughs> we got a we got a rough one coming up. <laughs> oh man, the murder capital. I look forward to it. Yeah, let's see if it holds up, man. Yeah, I, I have not seen that movie in a long fucking time. Probably as long or longer than Pump Up the Volume, so it'll be a fun experiment for me. I can I can still hear the uh, the Doors cover of People Are Strange in my head and the uh, 
the the theme where something where they keep talking about thou shall not kill or whatever yeah in, in children's voices uh-huh. echoing in my head from that film so yeah i'm gonna roast the doors on this next episode so tune in for that <laughs> tune it in all right i'll see you next time all right dan out i'll kick everyone's ass in this room